Ooh, Nelly. Ooh, ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby, baby. So, Luke, how you feeling about phase three, my friend? Here we are, the last part, episode three of Catching Foxes Ruins the Movies. The Road to Infinity War, phase three, where we discuss the broader themes and the narratives found on the Road to Infinity War. This song costs a lot of money to use in your songs, um, in your films, I mean. Uh, so do you, So here's where I think we differ from a lot of other podcasts that are, do you know how many other podcasts there are right now called The Road to Infinity War? All of them. All there's of the podcasts. There's so many. And they all have the same thing. It's like, here's what talks about the Marvel films. Here's what's good. Phase three is where the cracks begin to show, which is stupid. And that's why it annoys me. And that's why I'm glad that we're taking the road that we are. Where we're again talking about the, we're not going to talk about how good or how bad these films were, though that will probably come out here and there. This is more about the broader themes and the broader like, narrative going on within all of these films because I've come to believe, and I think you would agree with me, that the MCU is telling one large, broader story that has its own themes, its own motifs, its own reasoning. It's quite, it's quite incredible. It is an amazing feat. It's not just all these characters in the in, in like the same like universe. It's a there's a story being told here, and it's incredible. And I want to dive into it. So just so everyone knows, phase four, or excuse me, phase three, Ooh. phase three starts with Captain America's Civil War, then introduces us to a new character, Doctor Strange. Then we go back and revisit the Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. Then Marvel magnificently wins back a character previously sold to Sony, Spider-Man Homecoming. Then we go on to the buddy comedy, Thor Ragnarok. And now we're introduced to yet another new character, Black Panther. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. I just crossed my arms like anyone could see me. Sorry, go on. (laughs) It's not a video podcast. And then we go into Avengers Infinity War Part 1. And then in between Part 1 and Part 2, we will be introduced to, we kind of semi already were, there will be Ant-Man and the Wasp. So the Wasp will now, at the end of Ant-Man, her costume was, was shown. And now she's going to have a whole show, a whole movie with Ant-Man, uh, probably another buddy comedy, although she's not that funny. And then Captain Marvel, <laughs> Captain Marvel, Luke, are you excited about Captain Marvel? I actually am. I don't know a lot about that character, but from everything I've heard about the film and, and how it could fit into the broader story here, I am yeah. excited. Plus it's in the she's 90s. Another, yeah, she's another link between the space Avengers, known as Guardians of the Galaxy, and... Uh, the Earth Avengers. And then we have Avengers 4, Infinity War Part 2. Are they calling it Avengers 4? Did they officially change the name? Uh, so, yes, they, they did. It was the it was Part 2, but they've now said it's just the Avengers 4. But it's, I mean, it's basically, I think it's the same thing, but they want to kind of have them do their own standalone. They, they don't want to, I think they're trying to avoid what other films have done, where it is one big film split up into two, like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2. Um, these are telling two complete, uh, these are two different stories that are very connected. Yeah. And I would hate, hate, hate if it was like the Harry Potter ones. I hated. I feel like when people do one movie where they divide it into two separate movies, they just make both movies crappy. They drag. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it all drags because they're trying to do too much. And uh, my feeling is that, that the editor 
the person in charge of editing it down is has too much buy-in right to the actual movie that they can't push that edit button you know what we're not going to spend 45 hours on the emotional state of harry potter walking along a riverbed like we're i hated the last i i the last two movies of the harry potter movies ruined me for harry potter like i hated it i wanted to read the books right after i watched the movie i was like oh dear god if this is anything like the movie i'm done and so i didn't if if you watch them back back if you watch them back to back it's not as bad but still yeah so luke i have a very big question we are recording this yes my friend sunday april 22nd this will come out on wednesday i don't know what day that is uh have you purchased your tickets to infinity war i did I did. We're going Friday night at 6 p.m. at this at this really fancy movie theater, so I'm excited. The Cine Bistro. I am literally keeping up my tradition. Uh, every boy. time an Avengers movie has come out, I have taken off work. <laughs> 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 so Friday morning, I will take my son to school, and then I will go see Infinity Wars with my wife. Oh, I'm going. I'm going with my wife too. Do not text me. <laughs> Listen, I won't say a thing. But I do have to say, you suck for not flying down here with your wife and enjoying a beautiful weekend away. We, we talked about it, and then life got busy. And, I was, and then it, it actually would not have worked. But, yes, I would have loved it. I'm not going to lie. I'm extraordinarily happy you didn't because I'm bursting at the seams. However, <laughs> Daddy would have made room for his Lukey Poo. I know. Yeah. Daddy would have made room. Uh, I, 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 I tried to say all right just then, and I choked on my like the beer that was midway down my esophagus. Yeah. Go on. If... If there's if there's a way that we were ever going to die, if it were to be predicted, it would be through alcohol. I'm sure. Us? Yeah. You mean like an accidental, not like alcohol poisoning, no, like liver no, failure. No, no. It would right just now. be like and then he like it was so good, or like he made he made this great joke and then choked on his beer and died. <laughs> I honestly thought you were gonna say if any of us were gonna die, it would be in each other's arms. <laughs> it's true. That's that's how I hope. Hope <laughs> to go. It's actually in my will, dear Aaron. When I'm on my deathbed, please fly me down to Houston, Texas, so I can die <laughs> how a man should in the arms of his beloved Gomer. In the arms of a Gomer, fly away from I'll go, I didn't do it for him. I did it for you. <laughs> and I'll say, Loki, I'll see you in another movie because you're too damn good an actor and everyone loves you to actually kill you. Uh, uh. All right, so and scene. And scene. Luke, there you go. Captain America. <laughs> so, okay, real quick, let's just go through. Um, yeah. So I changed this up a bit. I think within, okay, to not have this be a six-hour-long podcast, <laughs> let's be honest, it will. Um, yeah. Do you mean like boo to that not being a six-hour yes, podcast? let's do okay, it. Let's, let's do, do it. it. Let's do it. Six hours. So we're, we're going to do two things here. So we're, 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 first off is we're just going to talk really quick, like what was a favorite movie out of this? What was our what was our favorite movie? Uh, what are some things that we liked? Then we're going to go into interesting aspects of this. And I think, and there's going to be some things we would um, have done for our last two episodes. Uh, we Sorry, I just burped into the mic. We did those at the end. But I think for this, they have so much in common that you have to do it in the beginning to see that. So, as, and so then once we go into each, all of the themes for each of the movies, we'll be able to say, yeah, and this is how it is connected to the broader thing that is that is going on because these films are connected it's like crazy and then at the end we'll kind of go into we'll take the more hundred thousand foot view like what's the so from phase one to phase three what's the broader story being told here sound good you could write a book on almost each of these films it's insane there we go oh audible you know we should have just done an audible sponsorship thing 
Yeah, well, all right. Um, we just saw everyone put in a little code. Okay, so um, what's your favorite? What's 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 Gomer's? What is Gomer's favorite Phase Three MCU film? Okay, now I have to say this within the context of rewatching these six movies now, minus Black Panther because I just saw them in theater twice. Um, okay, Guardians of the Galaxy, a lot of fun, but no. Spider-Man, really up there. Black Panther and Spider-Man, to me, are tied. But uh, Doctor Strange is not in the competition because it just has a generic villain, and I don't care. Although I thought it was still a fun movie. It is tied between Civil War and Thor Ragnarok. And Civil War, or as it's known in my house, Avengers 2.5, it did the most to advance the overall narrative of the Avengers universe. Mm -hmm. I felt like carried all of Phase 3 on its shoulders. Thor Ragnarok, I think, did the absolute best of making the characters, like, it's absolutely beloved. Like, you loved those two guys. You, like, mm-hmm. you didn't care about anything else. You didn't even care about Valkyrie. She was cool. I really enjoyed her character. But, hmm. So I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Civil War. I'm going to play safe. I'm going with Civil War. All right. I, there are some things with that film in Captain America's Civil War that I, I have a really it's, it's and I, I hate it when people do this because it's one of the things where I'm like that's not what films are about just get over some of the technical parts and just see what's the story being told but there are some things in that that drive me crazy this is all this is the only I think this is the only gripe you're ever going to hear from me in any of these podcasts and it's in this film the green screen is horrific it is horrific in this movie in which scene in which multiple scene? scenes so there's a part when they're at the airport, Black Widow comes comes out, and it's like, well, that was shot after they filmed at the airport. Like, it's just so, it's so bad. And then there's a part when, um, uh, I believe it is when the Falcon goes, everyone's got a gimmick now, where him and the Witcher Soldier are clearly, like, fake running in front of a green screen Oh, when they're indoors well. inside the airport and Spider-Man's coming after them. Okay. Yeah. It just... It just drove me. Cr- I mean, it just it just for some reason one of the things where I'm like, it just takes me out of it. So because of that, and I hardly ever do this, but I gotta go as Thor Ragnarok. I just watched that today because again, I've seen Black Panther in the theaters three times. So um, I think that's my favorite. I think it's such a brilliant and interesting and smart film and hilarious. One of the things that's really great about the MCU is like this is when they really like. Whoever casts these films deserves an Oscar because it's insane. It's in these movies, I think. It's in this phase here where they started to play to the strengths of the people that they cast. So Chris, like Chris Hemsworth, is not a great dramatic actor. He is a great comedy guy. He's hilarious. And so that's why they changed it to a comedy to play to his strength. And it's and it worked. It's and he's brilliant. improv too. So good. Like that was one of his big things. And yeah. by yeah. Like you saw, you see more of Chris Hemsworth when you see him do the funny like Thor living with Ted or whatever that guy's name was that Marvel did those funny little movie, uh, mm-hmm. that little commercial or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, like that is his brand of comedy, and it's so funny and so spot on, and you see it in the movie. Like finally, they really unleashed the character. Yeah, and I think it allows him to have that emotional depth as well because it just he's, he's just it just fits his strengths. It's just it's great. So. Um, okay, so let's go to a few interesting. Uh, is, is there anything else that you want to just like comment like on the films in general? Any well, I do want to say that if you have children, 
<laughs> if you have children, um, Thor <laughs> Ragnarok, they love, except for the zombie soldier scenes, which was, this is what we watched for dinner. I was like, mm-hmm. listen, daddy has to do a podcast tonight. We're all watching this. <laughs> I did that to Aaron, too. I'm like, honey, we're going to watch a lot of movies. This it was week. like the Buckle perfect on. weather outside for kids to go outside and play. And I was like, screw it. We're watching a movie. <laughs> like, this is important to daddy. Um, so me and Shannon, we watched Doctor Strange last <laughs> night. We watched um, Ragnarok today. We watched Spider-Man Homecoming the for dinner last night. So I think it would be all. They loved. Okay, I'll tell you what. My kids loved, freaking loved Ant-Man and Spider-Man. And they saw scenes of Civil War, but it's way too long. And they, they miss way too much. But I will say this. Mm-hmm. Like Thor, the Ragnarok, the Thor Ragnarok. They liked scenes, but not the whole thing. So I thought, huh. Maybe my children should be a gauge of attention spans and what draws them in. Uh, they did not get any of the humor of Thor Ragnarok, so they lost they lost their attention spans. Obviously, it was like anytime there was a fight scene or a spaceship, they're all about it. But other than that, how did you handle the orgy joke? Oh, they had no clue. I was like, kids, kids, do I have to do I have to bring out the book Good Pictures, Bad Pictures to explain to you what an orgy is? No, they didn't. They had no clue. And I think maybe I was talking when they were doing that. There's a lot of like. Here's the funny thing about the Avengers movies. There's a lot of random cussing that you can't anticipate for the sake of your kids. Like, uh, they'll, they'll just, mm-hmm. they'll drop, like, uh, Tony Stark in Iron Man 3 calls the kid uh, a P word. A P <laughs> word. And I'm like. Which I, don't, I really don't like that word, but it's so funny, that I context. So I know, funny. but it's, like, hard to navigate with your kids, right? God, my oh, kids don't listen totally. to Catching Foxes. I would never let them listen to Catching Foxes. <laughs> Even though my my six year old says it's her favorite podcast. Anywho, that that's all I would say is <laughs> it's a funny kids at schools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so your kids uh, ever like say well, they're like ask what does your dad do? I just w- I can't wait until they say podcasting. <laughs> my <laughs> my dad thinks very highly of himself. <laughs> mm, oh, so he must be a podcaster. I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's the only funny thing about watching all these movies. Because for those of you who don't know, me and Luke have to watch all of these within a week in order to record the show on a Sunday or Monday and then get it published uh, mm-hmm. on, by Wednesday. And so it was six movies. Well, five if you minus Black Panther. So it was a it was a lot. This I'll admit this one was a lot because I think we did phase one. That was pretty spread out. Phase two was a little bit of a rush. This was. Six movies in one week. Oh, good times. Good times, my friend. All right, let's go in. Oh, I love this. Okay, so um, there's some very interesting aspects of these films I think that we need to hit in order to kind of understand what's going on here. So um, the first one is that, like, um, especially the last four films, sorry, yeah, the last four films from Guardians of the Galaxy to Black Panther, these are very colorful very colorful i mean I'm, I'm talking like that like very pop like popping out on the screen it's not as dull as a lot. if you look at a lot of the other like marvel films they're all pretty dog especially from just like how they're like shot and stuff they're just pretty dull that was actually a complaint that i read about some of the avengers movies um being just like super like so dark you need to have like a theater type atmosphere in order to see them you know yeah no i agree and you, and you have to yeah it's it's kind of i think you have to almost to really get the best colors out of them recalibrate your tv a bit um because they do like look cool but it's just so it's weird and in these last four films the colors i'm like it's just it's insane how cool it is two more family dynamics from thor black up 
Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, even the Civil War film, there's this huge aspect of what's going on within the family and how it impacts everyone. And like, feel free to like elaborate on this. So is there anything that you want to say about that? Or I can just keep, No, I would say the colorful going. ones, I mean, you're thinking in terms of the fantastic colors of Doctor Strange going through the astral dimension and that, oh, and then yeah, him totally. going to, to do the fight scene with Dormammu. Um, and the weird balls of neon, uh, which mm-hmm. I didn't understand. Like, if I went to a galaxy where there's weird balls of glowing neon, I'd be like, uh, this isn't the dark galaxy. This is the rave galaxy. I'd be like, this is the LSD galaxy. So that's all actually inspired. So this is all really, I think one of the reasons why they are um, like this is, I believe, I don't know if it's a storyline per se where they come from the comics, but all of those characters have a tie to one particular comic book artist, and then that's, like, his style. Okay. That is very much him as that type of, like, straight out of the 70s. So, yeah. So you have that with Doctor Strange. You have Guardians of the Galaxy with everything revolving around Ego the planet, from his ship to um, the planet itself, all Mm -hmm. of that super bright colors, all of this stuff. Spider-Man Homecoming, most of the battle, or most of the movie was shot during the daytime, even some of the crime-finding stuff. It was probably both nighttime and daytime. Um, Of course, Mm -hmm. the big ending scene was on the plane at night. Thor Ragnarok, all color all the time. The the devil's anus, all of those things, brightly colored. Well done. Yeah. yeah. And and it's all over the place with Black Panther. It's actually really special in that film, but, all, but we will get to that yeah. when we talk to you about that film specifically. If you like purple, um, Black Panther's the movie for you. And, Chris, and Christian Gormley does love purple. That's his number one favorite color. That's why he bought a 1998 Grand, Pontiac Grand Prix, all in purple. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, these are just like beautiful films. So I'm gonna. I think you can expect more of the same with uh, the Infinity War. I think it's gonna be a colorful film. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was. You better be right. You better so, be right, or we're done. So point three that I have here is you get a Christ figure, and you get a Christ figure. Everybody gets a Christ figure, uh, dude. All over the place in these films, it's insane. So you have you have the infamous helicopter scene in the Civil War film that a lot of, how do we put this, are agnostic slash, slash like, atheists are, like, um, how do I put this, are, did you ever hear the incomparable episode on this, how annoyed they all got with, like, the Christ, with the Christ figure thing? No. Huh? In that, with the helicopter, yeah, they were, they were all like, yeah, of course there's that. Um, So that, so that happens, that's where he's holding on to the uh, Captain, America's holding on to the helicopter and holding on to this like rail and it's like like he's on a cross and then I caught this one part so this is really key to understanding is that any like everything you see when you watch a film is there by choice at times that choice might be hastily made but for the most part it's there's there is a reason why they chose that there's this great um in the commentary track for Groundhog's Day the director the late great Harold Ramis talked about how this one scene it's where they're it's where they're like they are all uh when he first sees that he's like going through the same day twice and he starts to do whatever he wants and during the scene Hale Ramis talks about how people often ask me like what does a director do and one of my and like one of my like answers is this scene here is you have this is your job is to basically choose what color is this car and why and so any everything that you see on the scene, if it's a really good film, there is going to be kind of a reason there. Again, it might not be the, the most profound thing ever, but it is there by choice. It is not a random thing. And there's a scene when they're at Peggy's funeral, when we find out who is her, like the girl that Captain America is kind of interested in. We find that she is her like niece. 
she goes up to the podium to speak. It's at an Anglican church, I believe. So I don't know what they would call yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it has the little I A. Yeah, um, the pulpit. It has the little. It uh, has the I H S cloth on the pulpit. Which uh, what does that stand for? Again? Jesus. It's the first three letters in Greek of Jesus. So yeah, and I I think that's there's a reason why that is there. That's all that I'm saying. Um, Black Panther. You basically have the resurrection of of like. Black Panther, when he comes out, he comes out arms stretched, kind of has like a resurrection vibe to it there. You have the you have the boat scene in Spider-Man where he's trying to hold on to the two boats with his web clearly arms stretched out like he's on a cross. Then you have Guardians of the Galaxy, which this is a bit of a stretch, but I think it works. So Peter Quill, he's actually Christ age at this point in time. So we find out before he's born, you see his mom and his dad hanging out. Then he goes up to to 34 years later which would put his age at about 33 he is the son of a god lowercase g but a god and he does at the end of the film he does try to like sacrifice himself for the greater good to save his friends who are all like a human beings he doesn't know that he's going to be saved yeah and so i think um i mean that's what one two three one two three four five things right there sorry one two three four i'm sorry five examples right there that to me that is enough to say there's something going on here where it involves either some some type like a savior or like you know someone who saves the world that's a there's a thing going on here with that i think the biggest thing number one is we are westerners and no matter how atheistic we get when we want to show a hero you can't get away from christ right like Mm -hmm. in so many ways not all the ways so okay let me let me just put it this way in the uh, and I had mentioned this, I think, in the early one, there is this notion in all superheroes movies where they talk about is the age of heroes returning, right? And what they mean by that essentially is this pre-Christian heroic age of these larger-than-life characters like Odysseus and all of all of these people who go on these great quests and they do these great achievements and they face insurmountable odds and they conquer them overwhelmingly. But Christianity demythologized all that stuff. And so now it's like, okay, well, now we have magic again, right? We have technology. We have human reason. We have the arts. We have all of these things coalescing in the rise of these super beings. Is this the age of heroes again? And they're not heroes. They're superheroes, right? But even still, they're made by people who are who are thoroughly Westerners, right? We're not all, we're not all as Nietzsche. Even Nietzsche was not as atheistic as he wanted to be. I mean, so much was in reference to the Christianity he was raised in. And so... I think you will, no matter how hard a Westerner tries, when they say hero, they mean not a person who accomplishes the seemingly impossible, but the person who lays down his life for his friends. And I think they cannot get away from that. Yeah. Um, we know we always view people, when we think of who like a hero is, that they like save a person or a thing from something else. There's like a saving aspect there. Yeah, exactly. And how funny is it, though, that the agnostics or atheists of the incomparable i don't think there are any of them are christians or anything and if they are they keep it secret but uh how don't funny blame them. yeah how funny is that that they would be like oh of course you gotta have this christ-like scene where where captain steve rogers is holding on to the helicopter to save his buddy and also to keep him you know within the bounds of justice and he's stretched out between these two worlds so christ-like and i'm thinking the whole time wow his muscles are good like my whole thought process was the reason why they did that scene is to show off his insane muscles which he did you know an insane workout routine and all this stuff and women remember that scene and i thought i'm trying to think now like 
did the Christian miss the Christ-like element, and did the atheist see it? Because all I saw was a hot body. <laughs> all I saw was, you really could iron a shirt on those abs. Good for you. In your 30s, that's impressive. Abs. Uh, uh, anything else on the Christ work? Because I, I, I figure we can go on and on about that. But Yeah, it is funny. Well, I was going well, to say, it's, it is funny how Thor could be the one who is the most, like, ancient Nordic myth heroic, but... Even then, he has in Thor one, right? He dies and then returns, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and he returns in a glorified state. So it's like, well, oh, okay. Well, and I, I, I also think one key part of all of, and this is kind of there with all of these films, but especially during Phase Three, is they're all willing to die, or they accept the fact that yeah, we're probably going to die doing this, and they just go on anyways. Well, isn't that the big thing with Iron Man is I would try to find another way, mm-hmm. and so his growth into the hero role is to realize. Sometimes there is no other way other than dying. And yay, because it's Hollywood, there is another way. Like, he falls through the new coal or wormhole, all that mm-hmm. stuff. Anyhow. Yeah. Okay, so the next part, part uh, four, and oh, I'm sorry, not, not part four, but, like, in terms of, like, interesting parts here that I, I think is important to point out is this idea of the bill comes due. Always. From the guy from Doctor Strange. I forget that that character's name great actor though he was in 12 years a slave other and uh, other fine films uh it's this idea that you have to face the, that you have to reconcile with the consequences of past of past actions clearly you have that in the civil war movie uh you, you know they have to deal with the fact that you know, like bucky though it was not his own fault killed uh howard stark and his wife iron man's parents that has to be reconciled uh, doc, like obviously with Doctor Strange, you have the the Ancient One. All of the choices that like sh- like sh- she made, having to uh, where did she get her ability to not die and stuff, having to like, reconcile that. And then uh, you also have with in like with in like Thor, um, there is you, then you have like Helena who comes back. Um, you have to face the consequences of their dad Odin. And the things that he did and what he did with his daughter and what they did to different like realms and stuff, they have to deal with what they created in in, in her. I think that's um, so my guess is that's gonna play a part in the in the um, next in films to come. Let me just put it that way. I think in a very real way the the Asgardian vault is kind of a symbol of all this stuff, right? Like this is all the things the dangerous things from the Asgardian perspective that is out in the universe that they are going to shove deep down in a vault and hide it all away. And uh, maybe that's symbolic for like, even though you've hit it all away, like the eternal flame that resurrects your enemies. And then that resurrects Sarda who destroys Asgard. Like these things, even though hidden, they're still dangerous and they're so capable of destroying everything. So um, the Thor Ragnarok, I think is the, maybe the thematic tipping point with with the mm-hmm. word of uh, our everyone's favorite rock monster friend Korg, who says, uh, "Yeah, man, we got to have a revolution, right?" Like they <laughs> great accent. Yeah, <laughs> they literally burn down the past world in order to get past this, and so I think that that is like one of the things. Like, okay, we need a clean start, but you can't have a clean start without the bill coming due. And the way that that always that reconciles is you got to nuke it all, into, or you got to face the full repercussions. You know? Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think this kind of like um, goes into the next point that I want to give up, 
that I wanted to go into is there is this incredibly interesting aspect in a lot of these movies of having to confront your pain or your past, but doing so within the context of community. Probably the best film that do, or where it's most apparent is in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Each character has to confront some aspect of the pain within their own their own life or their own past. But they're only able to do it with within the con with their friends, within the other guardians. So it's the the ultimate example is Peter Quill. They all have to confront his dad, and everyone does it with him. But you have it with Rocket Raccoon. Uh, he confronts all the anger that like he feels. It's basically like Yondu that helps him do that. Um, you have all the pain that Gamora went that like the the pain of her past. It really tastes like Nebula having to say like this is what this was the problem here. We have to deal with this. Um, I wanted a sister. Uh, I love that. I thought that was so incredible. And you it wanted to there. win. I know, and she and like, she's right to be mad about that. She's completely yeah. right. You know, like they were kids, and that's one of the things that Gamora comes back was like, "I was a kid too. I'm sorry, I was scared." You know, yeah. um, you have this within the Civil War film. The past plays a huge deal in that, and they all have to confront. And that really kind of breaks down the team, I think. There, so that's really kind of like interesting. Obviously, throw like Ragnarok, um, Black Panther. All of Wakanda has to face, like the pain and the and the past of what their choice to remain hidden and to keep those people out, um, and what that does to all of them. Doctor Strange, the Ancient One, again, um, Spider Man. I don't know if it applies there, but I think that's almost all of them besides Spider Man. I think uh, the reason why it doesn't apply to Spider Man is because he's so young; he doesn't have a past pain to deal yeah. with. And they totally minimized with great power comes great responsibility from his uncle. They just obliterated that entire background. And he's going to meet MJ. There's going to be none of the Gwen Stacy background of the Sony movies. Like all of that is he's the new guy. And I mean, his mistakes are going to be the mistakes of a new guy blundering into things. I bet. Yeah. There's an, there's an innocence to him that I really like. It provides a little bit of balance there. Yeah. He's just a kid. I mean, he really is just a kid. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Wakanda, the whole people have to face the reality of ignoring the oppressed and all that stuff. But the, mm-hmm. the interesting thing is he lost his dad because they were on a, well, no, uh, a bunch of Wakandans were killed when they were on a diplomatic mission of mercy to Nigeria when the when the thing was destroyed accidentally by, by yeah. Scarlet Witch. So interesting. And, and, you, can, and it, you can tell that in... in and his dad kind of starts to go, we need to like, you know, we need to be in the world more. We need to like step out a little bit. And then the, what, what, what happens after, like when they do that is there's immediate, like they have to reconcile with this huge thing. So are we ready to dive into the individual films themselves? Centrally? Yes, I am ready. All right, let's do it. Now we're going to go into the themes for each of the films from MCU's Phase 3. Or it really should be MCU's third phase. I apologize to all the grammar Nazis. And D, look at it in your direction. <laughs> so the first movie that we have is the movie Civil War. 
Um, and this is the movie that most addresses the fallout from Ultron. Ultron being the super intelligent AI slash infinity mind gem created being who, uh, as we all know from the movie, tried to wipe out all mankind and starting with the Avengers, try to kill them all, blah, blah, blah. But now it leaves a bad taste in the mouth of every normal human in the world as all these advanced people are coming out of nowhere. They're drawing bigger people. That was one of the lines that the Vision used in Civil War. And so Civil War directly plays out how humans mix feelings about the Avengers, especially the governments of human beings, ends up dividing the actual team itself. Um, one thing that really hit me when I first went back and watched this was you hear the word move a lot in this film, almost as much as the word monster is is talked about in Age of Ultron. I think every character like either has the word move spoken to them or or like says the word move at one point in time. It's hmm. and I, I and I think okay. what you're seeing there is like you know they all take a pretty staunch stance on the accords. And I think what this film's about in to an extent is the consequences of conviction. Even if the whole world is telling you to move is your duty to plant yourself like a tree look them in the eye and say no you move that if you're not going to move because like it's always done in the sense of either a challenge or a um affirmation of like like stay true to like what you believe in so much of this film is a consequence of that tony is convinced that they've can't they're, that they're causing like real damage here and they've got to try to stop they have to stop doing that this that the collateral damage that they that they inflict upon the world needs to end and then you have um, captain america who is convinced that like because of again his whole this is idea of that we've talked about before captain america puts his trust in to people tony stark iron man puts he's he is willing to trust or you know organizations not going to back down off off of that yeah he even says that again in one of the lines where or in, in the movie where he's like i just trust people tony that, that's what it was it was the letter he wrote to tony at the very end when he broke everyone out of prison i've been on my own since i was 18 i never really fit in anywhere even in the army my faith's in people i guess individuals and I'm happy to say that for the most part, they haven't let me down. Well, you know, and I mean, and that's been, you know, eight films in the make, well, not eight films, but it's been, gosh, if you count all the films that Captain, that Captain America was in before that one, two, three, four films. And, and then, you know, Iron Man, each of, each of his films, one, two, three, four, then the two inches film, that's like, that is like, that, those are uh, five films in the making of his conviction that like, we need to, you know, create some real stability here. So we need to make some like, like Iron Man. Tony Stark can only really think in terms of. He can only really, I think he can. He's only able to think globally. He can't think locally. He can't think. He can't be in the moment. He's always trying to think. You know, he says in Age of Ultron, I want to have like a shield around the the entire world. He doesn't think in terms of what's going to happen in terms of me and these relationships. So there's a line that Tony Stark says that was really, really important, which or that Hawkeye says about Tony Stark, which was really, really important, 
which is, oh, here's the futurist, the futurist, ladies and gentlemen. He can see the future, and mm-hmm. it's when mm-hmm. they're in the raft. Now, the whole thing about the Sokovia Accords and the thing that led to the Civil War was that Tony would sit down with, um, who's the smartest guy in the world? The, the dude from Fantastic Four, uh, Mr. Oh, Fantastic. And yeah. they would sit down. They're both futurists. That, it says it a million times in the comic books. It got really annoying. And it's like, we are the best at seeing into the future, and this is what we know is coming. So we're going to head it off by doing X, Y, and Z. And that's one of the reasons why Tony is so obsessed with getting things done the way he is in the movie, at least from the comic book. You know, every so often there's like a wink and a nudge to the comic books, you know? Mm -hmm. And I Mm -hmm. felt like that's, oh, Tony Stark, the futurist. That was definitely one of those things where it's like, well, this is the thing is Tony believes that he is heading off something far, far worse. And all Captain America can see is he's robbing him of his God-given freedoms, right? You're going to take away my ability to defend innocent people. The futurist, gentlemen. The futurist is here. He sees all. He knows what's best for you, whether you like it or not. Give me a break, Barton. I'm not going to that's the core of who Captain America is. Right. You know, is that, that the fact that he's good, that means that everything that he, that he does is right. And that's what I think gets him in. That's what, what causes him tons of, like, issues in this. And this is one big thing I think that's going on here. That So last uh, last time that we talked about this phase two, we, you know, kind of hit on why couldn't Captain America, why couldn't he lift the hammer? And I saw this great post. I think it was on our on the Marvel Studios that basically says he can't lift the hammer because he knows of that he at that point in time in Age of Ultron he knows that Bucky killed Tony's parents and he's hiding it. Ooh, that's cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. And then, so what happens is he goes from being the guy in like Avengers who says there's there's like only one God, ma'am. He even says ma'am, and yeah. he doesn't look like that to like a you know a person to you know. I think it's to Black Widow, and she's, like, very young. And he says it because that's the proper right thing to do. So he goes from that to then when the, this is so powerful. At the, like, end of this film, Iron Man says, that shield doesn't belong to you. You don't deserve it. My father made that shield. And it's out of desperation and just pure rage and, like, anger. That shield doesn't belong to you. You don't deserve it. My father made that shield. And I think that the, he's right. He doesn't deserve to wear that I mean, shield at that point. He, the shield that his dad made for him, that he mm-hmm. gave him to be, to be Captain America, he kind of sacrificed that a bit to save his friend. Yeah. And that's why he, that's why he can't lift the hammer in Age of Ultron. And that's why, as a consequence of his, of his actions, Steve knows he's not worthy to be Captain America. He's kind of gave in. He's kind he's. He's trying to be a him trying to be a good man at all cost is is really preventing him from being a good man here. This is what you would call the conflict of goods, right? So what happens when two goods come into conflict with each other? You know, how to you know the the notion of you have mm-hmm. an option, like who you who are you gonna save? You know, your best friend, or your spouse, or a room full of strangers, right? You always try to weigh these things. And that is exactly the moral conundrum that Captain America is given. Who are you going to save? Your best friend or, you know, the, the Avengers 
in one case or you know the you know and and in a very real way the avengers he's my friend so was i you see this thing where the only good that he knows is the good that's right in front of him he's not going to spend time with the hypothetical good of governments and Mm -hmm. Sircovia Accords and all that stuff. All he's going to care about is the conflict of goods. There is no conflict in him, and maybe that's the problem. Like, he should feel the conflict more between not just his duty to his country or something like that, but how does favoring one over the many cause you to morally stumble, even when you're doing, Mm -hmm. quote-unquote, the right thing? So, like, you know, all of these things in Captain America were very interesting. If Really, what he should have done was he should have smashed all the soldiers and then brought Bucky to the prison and then, you know, still gone out on the quest to solve Bucky, you know, all the murders himself. You yeah, know? and, like, help people to understand and to see that, like, he was brainwashed. Like, he was, tr- I mean, truly as brainwashed as he could possibly be. He should not be responsible for those actions. But it doesn't mean that you just, like, oh, and he's best with me. So no one else, like, there, what about Tony Stark's parents? Where's the, the justice in, in that? You know, um, I think the, the only I, I I think what you just said was great. The only thing that I would probably push back on was I think he does kind of know because if you go back to Age of Ultron, if this is Age of Ultron part part you know two point five, um, he tells Tony Stark, you know, Tony Stark tells him, I don't trust a guy who doesn't have a dark side. Steve Rogers comes back with, well, perhaps you just haven't seen it yet. That's his dark side. Yeah, I think he knows that it's there. He knows that he's willing to do anything for his for his friend Bucky. I mean, he is willing yeah. to break his friend's heart. I mean, he's literally willing to break Captain America. Um, he's willing to break Iron Man's quote unquote heart. That like you know arc reactor that powers that too. That's a powerful. I mean, he he takes his shield, the shield that you know his dad built, and just I mean, he could have killed him. He almost does. To yeah, see, I don't think the he, arc I don't, Yeah, I don't think he would have. See, that's the thing about no, like Iron yeah, Man would have. And Iron Man tried to. That was pure rage on Iron Man's part. That was right. just desperation and rage. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, I mean, but Iron Man was doing everything he could to kill Captain to kill Bucky. If he would have killed Bucky, I don't think he would have killed Captain. But Captain was in yeah. the way, and he did everything he could to kill Captain. And Captain raised the shield. Iron Man, I think his face told it all, like, oh, crap, I lost. Now I'm going to die. And, of course, Captain America didn't kill him. Captain America knew mm-hmm. exactly what he was going to do, take out Tony's ability to take out Bucky, and that's what he did, and he left him along with the in shield. A, in a weird way, I think Captain America won the battle but lost the war in that film. I'm still on Captain America's side. See, I'm, I'm, I don't think I am, man. This is where me and you change because you like vinyl, so you're the old man, Captain America, <laughs> and I clearly don't. I'm the hip futurist Tony Stark. Because <laughs> I love, yeah, I know, I know. Like, I should be team Cap all the way, but I'm just like, dude, you're wrong. Like... You know, I'm not saying that that type of oversight where you have to have 180 nations say you should go and do your thing is, but like, and he almost signs the accord too. When he, that's so symbolic. When Tony has those pens, he's desperate to make this right because he wants, a, the, yeah. at this point in time, the team, the Avengers, is all that Tony has. That's yeah. all. He's got that and happy, and that's it. Yeah. And Bucky's arrested and confined. Everything is contained. Everything came out the way it should. And then what was the thing in that scene that moved Captain America to be like, no, I'm not doing it? It's when he finds out that, yeah, that he has one. And, again, Captain 
America's anger is right. She's a kid. But Tony is also like, dude, she's a kid with the ability to just like destroy a building by blinking the wrong way. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of a, uh, and he's trying to keep, I, I, so I'm not saying that I, I guess this is honestly, I don't, I have a feeling that after being a principal, that made me team Iron Man because I just get why you have to make those really hard, like those, that a really hard choice like that. I'm not saying that like because you haven't had a job with that, like you don't understand. I'm saying from my own perspective. I mean, hey man, when you're a principal, you have to accept the fact that people under your command are going to die. That's true. That's and true. You have to live with that. True. You're the survivor, and you have to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Who do you think, Steve? Like, so I, this is a question here, and then and we can just end it here because I mean, again, we can go on and on about this film. Um. W- there's there's an element in that last like fight scene when Steve starts to fight because like Steve lies to tony at first he says i didn't know that it was his parents or something or i, I don't remember exactly what what he says but there's like a pain in his face when he's yeah. trying when he's fighting iron man and part of me kind of thinks that part of it is like again if this really is like avengers 2.5 there's this aspect of like the life that he lost and and the home that he lost and um and he i think when he buries when he's a pallbearer for peggy he really has to accept the fact or has to confront the fact that like that life is now he has no ties to that any anymore, and that all he has is Bucky. Yeah, from his that's that's all he's got from what he knows to be like life. The only thing he has now is Bucky, or what he knew as life. And I think part of the reason why he fights so hard for him is because he's a little bit angry that he's alive right now. That it's twenty twenty like sixteen, and he's alive. And he's not a hundred year old man. So Bucky is all he has. Le- I mean, literally, he's all he has left of his world. And Bucky went through something almost identical to what he went through. Grand Captain America yeah. was frozen flat for fifty years, and <laughs> Bucky was thawed out occasionally to do these things. But yeah, I mean, he is all he has left. But it's as if that the one thing from his past is perfectly preserved with him. And so that's the extra thing that kind of keeps it all keeps yeah. it all there. Well, and I think if you were to. <clears throat> say like where does captain america like where does he where does he fail a bit is he does he, he doesn't really realize the gift he has in the avengers and that can be hard to accept like when you're you know old when you're like old family your you know old life is gone it can be very hard to see that the people that are in in your life at that point in time are the new family the new friends that you have because you don't have the benefit of hindsight you're kind of too With- in the thick of it which is exactly a theme that comes up in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when he's like, I finally have my dad. I finally have my family. And she's like, I thought you had us. I thought we were your family. Exactly. No, totally. Totally. Anything else on Captain America Civil War? Huh, no, I think that's it, man. I think that's it, bro. So. <laughs> okay. An hour in and we've done one movie. <laughs> <laughs> the next will go a little faster. Yeah. Um, okay. So Doctor Strange. Um one thing here that really comes up, a word that you hear over and over and over again, is um, time. Time and um, time like broken watches, as well as um, his hands. Why do why do these things come come up? I think because so if you take time, time is an is a very easy and un and undeniable like fact. It's either I'm a nine a.m. 
or it's not. You have a song that was released in like and you know that's either on like this date or it's that date. Can't be nineteen. Can't be nine. What's this? What are the years of the one song? It's like seventy eight, nineteen, and they like have an argument over it in the operating room in the beginning, nineteen seventy eight or nineteen seventy seven. Oh yeah, right. That's when it charted, but not when it was released. It was released in nineteen seventy seven. Yeah, gotcha. and like so, he, okay. he's a very like rational man. It is this or it's that, um, and so he doesn't see this need for belief or a world beyond his head or beyond facts because it, it just doesn't exist. It's it, it isn't impossible, and this is why I think he gets so angry when people don't call him doctor because he is a doctor. He's either doctor or he's not. He he went to med school. He is a doctor call him doctor i don't and there's a little bit of like ego there too but i think the bigger part is is to him it's like but this is what i am there's no, like this is all that i have this is all that there is so this is what i am i am a doctor please call me doctor his, and his hands are the tool by which it's the only thing he has to fix the world and it has to be like a physical thing because it's all that he sees is the world that he can touch that he can feel that he can like he only believes what he can see and what and what he can touch in his hands are how he interacts with the world. His hands are what, those are his powers. And when both, and when, you know, and you see a bunch of like broken watches and when his hands are like, you know, like act like um, actually broken, this is a dude who's completely, his entire like paradigm has just been destroyed or is complete, or it's just totally broken. And he doesn't know what to do. He just wants to fix it. Yeah, I would say definitely he is supposed to represent the consummate materialist. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He he is like the new atheist that doesn't just get upset or doesn't just roll his eyes at ignorant people, but he like actively hates, you know, like religious or or spiritual views. Mm -hmm. And so his notion, uh, I mean, this big transformation of the hyper materialist rationalist is confronted with the spiritual world. Yeah. But the funny thing is, but it's still always on this. <laughs> it's still always a rationalist play. I know. You know, it's kind of funny. It's not it's like it's, it's just code. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like an MRI, a weird chakra map, you know, like all of these things. Acupuncture. They're all just different maps. It sounds well, like I, a bunch of people being like, you know what religions are? It's like all these three blind men feeling the body of an elephant and describing it. Because I can't see the whole thing. They're like, oh, it's a big, leathery, flappy thing. No, it's a, mm -hmm. you know, and they describe the different aspects of it, like its ears, its trunk, and its legs. And it describes three different animals because they only see one part. But she's <laughs> going to show him the whole. <laughs> uh, you know, so, I mean, his hands, I just, I just uh, found my notes on this. Um, this is kind of important. His hands are are his world. Yeah, I mean, they're his they life. Are, they're his livelihood, are, everything. Yeah. yeah. And when they are broken, his world gets destroyed and he really it's through the ancient one and becoming a dog uh what gosh what are they called uh he, he, he becomes he, he becomes like a sorcerer in the mystic arts yeah um he rebuilds his world and i and he still it, it's kind of interesting he still does use his hands i mean that's, you have to use your hands yeah. to do all that stuff now even if you don't have a hand you still use hand motions or like use your arm to do you know yeah. whatever and I think it's very. It's, I I really didn't catch this until I watched this again this past week. So when he puts on his gloves, his hands still shake. Yeah, they're still scarred. They are still broken. I and mean, he's almost accepted that you know this that there are things he doesn't understand. There are things that things won't always be perfect. But now, but like his world isn't just about the material world. There are these. There are things much bigger than him 
that he can now be a, a part of. Yeah, he can save the world in different ways. I do like the fact that time is the the difference between time and hands and the mystic arts are all connected because so the eye of Agimoto or whatever his name is is what he uses that amulet thing that he wears that that is his thing in the comic books he is always as that thing and that enables him to manipulate time and it just so happens in the very beginning you discover as he's about to go out to this posh event in his Lamborghini that mm-hmm. watches are his thing and mm-hmm. it's cool that they tied in the motif of both hands and time through his obsession with, you know, classic timepieces. But the only one of those things that he actually saves is the broken one from his girlfriend, played by Rachel McAdams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a very good point. I know. I'm awesome like that. (laughs) So that's, I mean, and then you also have the bill comes due, all that stuff. We we talked about all all that stuff earlier. Well, what I want to talk about is what is the one thing a lover of St. Thomas Aquinas would just giggle over when they watch the movie Doctor Strange. Let me ask you that I, question. I don't know, Gomer. What is it? I'm glad you asked, Luke. The natural law. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Over and I over again. I, oh, sorry. I should have included that in there. Yeah. So they do. By, by this, they mean the rules of 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 nature. They don't mean the natural law. They mean the laws of nature in a certain respect, because. Because they are sorcerers, they're able to use, you know, energies from different dimensions to affect this dimension or whatever their scientific explanation, their demythologized version of it is. But the the notion of it is there is a certain order that it is immoral to transgress. The weird thing is the ancient one transgresses that in order to stay alive. And when she's dying and stretching out that last moment into a thousand moments, she's talking with Dr. Strange and she says, you know, the other guy, he can't take my place because he's too rigid, but Mm -hmm. you can, because you, you know, when to bend the rules. Like, so it kind of seems like it's, it's a little silly. This is like the, every so often Hollywood makes its appearance where it's just like, really, really. And it's this notion of, like they're they're interesting thing. Like Batman will do anything and everything but kill people until the new DC universe. Um, he never mm-hmm. kills people, right? So he saves the Joker's life, but won't kill him. And so all these things kind of happen. But um, but Hollywoodism every so often kind of rears its ugly face. And so one of them is a standard line like, "Well, you got to know when to bend the rules, bro. That's how you know you're really alive." And it's like actually, the bending of the rules is what dehumanizes you. So it's funny that the natural law is what the is what that one guy felt like uh, him and um, him and the librarian. They all felt like what the ancient one taught them was it's their job to preserve the natural law, while she was breaking it in a very substantial way the entire time. And she passes on the she makes him a master. He doesn't become sorcerer supreme probably until later, but he makes him she makes him the master of the New York house, um, precisely because he will compromise the natural law, which I thought was really weird. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, which leads to the ending scene. Did you did you watch the end credit scene? Oh yeah, he yep, goes back yep. and he kills the guy who's keeping himself alive, and he says that's, that's the problem. Not I'm Doctor Strange. It's oh. the other guy. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The other guy. <laughs> we still. This is how forgettable a character he was. You know, he was fun. He was a good actor, but he, I don't think they did him any justice in terms of no, making yeah. him a worthy, you know, anything. Yeah. yeah. But he, um, 
it's almost he almost was i don't know if i would say he was but he was very close to the mystical magical negro role you know have you heard that you've heard that phrase we've talked about that before in catching foxes yeah 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 Yeah. so i mean he's like the the black guy that helps the white guy achieve his dreams you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the the legend of bagger vance guy right um the green mile guy he kind of does that he doesn't get enough but he's more than that because also he doesn't die um but the end credit scene, he kills the dude who's able to harness magic so that he can walk again. And he kills him, and he says, you know what the problem is? There are too many sorcerers. So you're like, ooh, we got a supervillain here. <laughs> so I'm excited about that. I keep burping. That hiccup was awesome. That was, no, that was straight up burp, bro. Um, <laughs> it was one I was trying to contain, and it violently erupted. Uh, it was like, I will not be contained. <laughs> the bill comes due. Always. <laughs> you will not silence me. You will not silence me. So I think that's awesome in terms of how it's going to play itself out in the future. But he is the fanatic for natural law remaining natural. Whereas it's almost like the Sorcerer Supreme and the Masters are like, well, we'll bend the laws of nature in order to preserve it for everyone else. So we will rip apart time in order to save the Hong Kong facility and, and thus save the world. But at what cost the bill comes due, blah, blah, blah. All right, man, let's go on to the next one. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Family drama. Next, mm. Spider-Man. <laughs> Not just family drama, but daddy issues. Daddy issues galore. Yeah. Um. So I so I have in, like, notes here. Who's your daddy? No, honestly, what is a family? <laughs> uh, you, you know, have the Robin, you uh, have the Ravengers. You have the Ravengers who, like, turn on each other with ease. You have like rocket a raccoon who can be really terrible i mean his like i mean he calls peter quill orphan boy <laughs> i was like that was that was horrible um <laughs> but gamora's so kind of hard, yeah i know uh, kind of like not a best like sister in the world at all peter uh, you have peter quill who like really honestly and this is you know one of the first things that like like we like learned about him is he likes to he you know doesn't like other people who want to hurt other things and his dad wants to take out the entire universe to just be one big thing uh and then you have this poor guy drax who is like who has who you know has to live with such intense traumatic pain that it's kind of amazing he isn't a villain so how do you form a family out of that? What does that What does that actually look like? And that's what I think this film is about. And the only way to really go about doing that is by having you have to suffer with others. And that's what they do in this film. They all have, they all choose to suffer with each other to the point where you um, have Mantis, who's not a part of the of the Guardians yet, but she is starting to. She is oh gosh, what is it called? Um, Empath. Yeah, she is an empath where she's able to feel what others tend to feel, and she wants to feel what Drax feels. She's willing to suffer with him, to feel how he feels, so he's not alone in that. Um, you have Gamora who seeks to like, reconcile with her sister so they can just kind of be miserable together, you know, or at least understand that like they don't have to... It's because they're so, they're so broken, they're just so incredibly damaged... By like Thanos, who's we'll get to down the road here, that they don't have to be against that they that should they should not allow that to make them be against each each other. It should be what unites them. Yeah, man, I like your quote about Drax that he has to live with a pain so traumatic it's amazing he isn't a villain. 
that's very true. The hardest scene with him is when he's sitting, looking out, uh, you know, sitting on the mm-hmm. steps of the palace or whatever it is, and he's looking out there, and Mantis um, is talking with him, and he's like, this kind of reminds me of my daughter. I used to take her to the Forgotten Lakes, and we would go and play. And then he just stares out, and you can tell he's, like, getting choked up, and she puts her hand on his shoulder, and it's a super tender moment, where, and then she's just so overwhelmed with his pain and his grief. Like, it was, actually was... Guardians of the Galaxy does its fever-pitched best to ruin every important moment, I think, with comedy. with like, mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it, the cheapest, dumbest comedy that it becomes its own worst villain, uh, the writers yeah. do. But um, she does this really, like, that one scene was the one scene that wasn't corrupted. But it's then the, Hollywood came scene. in. Yeah, and then Hollywood comes in and is like, you know, Gamora, she's about to finally reveal the secret, and then Gamora walks in and is like, wait, what? What are you going to say? What's going on? Tell me the truth. Okay, what's going on here? Let's get out of here. And, you know, it's like the classic, like, yeah, stupid Hollywood, like, fake anxiety moment. Wait, she's just about to tell him. It's like, come on. This is unrealistic. But Luke, <laughs> it's a story. I never understand when people say it's unrealistic. Like, it's a story. No, it's it's unrealistic when there is these standard Hollywood tropes, like, like in a romantic comedy, for instance, where the woman overhears the man or the man overhears the woman out of context, reads the worst into it, and then breaks off the relationship for an extended period of time, including not marrying someone. This happens in almost every rom-com that could have been resolved in A, listening for a minute longer, or B, saying, this is uncharacteristically like you. Why would you say these things? Oh, this is very easy to clarify. Thank you for clarifying. Now we may remain lovers. Right? Those are the things now that Now let us consummate our forbidden love. <laughs> but it's like little things like that that always that always like stick out to me because it's like the writers are like, uh, use default scene one nine or seven. Like they just have like these default things that they throw and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, this is not how you build drama. This is how you default attempt to build drama. <laughs> so that's always pushes me. Pusses me off. Pisses me off. <laughs> but Luke, I am so excited about point number three. Point number three, community groups. The only way any of them can really con- confront their pain or find or really find healing, and this is really true, is as is as a community. And I think that's kind of interesting because it's not just having to overcome obstacles, but actually find healing. There's a lot of healing that goes on in this film. Mm. You know they what happened is they all watch my videos on YouTube. No, it's true. It's true, uh, and they really and it's and it's, and they and they have to do it in the context of community. It would have been possible for them to find it on their own. I think it's very uh, probably the, the thing that we're really able to like witness this is when Peter Quill is about to get destroyed by his dad, which is the whole thing, and um, you like have a yawn to he goes boy when i use my blah 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 i don't use my head i use my heart and it's like clear that he says heart so peter stops and he just starts um to think about this you know as a kid when he when he would listen to his mixtape with his with his with his mom when he'd have a good laugh with drax when he's flying oh, with rocket which i love that part because it's so random just in like flying in the sky with jetpacks um, <laughs> when he's dancing with Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Yeah. And when he's growing up with Yondu, and it's where he finds his healing. He goes, No, like this is my family. This is people who who love me, who care about me. I choose to fight for them as opposed to like 
given to my maniac dad who wants to destroy the entire universe. Best line in any movie comes from Guardians. Which one? I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! Oh, oh, Christ thing in there. When he dies, his arms are outstretched. Huyandu dies. Mm. I think phase three is really having to deal with gods and men. Okay. And there's this very interesting thing that I read. Is that why does Rocket Raccoon cry at the end when he sees all of the fireworks? He's already cried over like Yondu's death, which happens when before they like send when they like right before they burn his body. Yeah. He's crying. This is what the director who also who also like wrote the film, James Gunn, he said he's crying because he finally believes there might be a god. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. The director said that? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it really comes across that well, but if you if you understand that, it makes it kind of makes a lot of sense. And there's a kind of this like theme within a lot of these films of like of like men and I think the like divine. You have the whole Christ of the simple things and just this element of like things outside of their control, things that are much like bigger than them. Also the huge thing in Doctor in Doctor Strange. It's kind of there in the first like Avengers when Iron Man asks um as like Bruce, Bruce on Banner, like, you know, you're the Hulk for a reason. He really said that he was crying because he yep. thought that there might be a god. Yep, he just kind of realized that there, um, that there might be a god. Wow, that's intense. Yeah, it's a really if you, again, like I think if this film has any faults is that it tries to go for too many jokes and doesn't breathe as much as it because it's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. Extremely colorful, like. I think this is actually one of my like favorite, um, one of my favorite like shots of all the MCU is from this film. It's when Gamora is in a field by by herself, and it's just completely quiet. Then she hears a plane come in. It's just a really beautiful. It's just a beautiful picture. It's a really great image. Yeah, after she chops the uh, the plants that are rubbing against itself, making a mm-hmm. noise that's annoying her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you which is just, you know, she's just used to, you know, she, you know, it's like she has to take a sword because she's a violent person. Yeah. She's been her whole life. That's just how she deals with things. It's just through violence. And she finally starts to deal with things in the end by like, you know, she hugs, you know, actually she holds on to Peter and she hugs her sister. She's, you know, she tries to not speak through like violence or through arguing, but just through showing love to people that she cares about. I think this film, this is, this is also up there for one of my favorite films in uh, this phase because it's just such a deep, it's a really deep movie. Like, if you really get into these things, it's kind of easy to cry at, like, a couple parts in this film. If you really get what's 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 going on there. For as deep as it is, it ruins itself by being stupid over exactly. the top in so many exactly. ways. Yeah. Like, I don't think once the comedy in Thor Ragnarok ruined the scenes... I felt like, because I watched them a little bit out of order, I was actually just watching Guardians right now, right before we recorded this, and I kept thinking, holy crap, they are going out of their way to ruin everything. Like, that was, mm-hmm. a, that's why I thought, like, I would never rate this, like, the first one was much better than the second one. Because the first one's, like, normal but funny. This one's, like, over-the-top goofy at certain scenes. Anything having to do with the Ravengers is so over-the-top, like, yeah. stupid. Like every like where they're like ah, ha, ha, like just like laughing at their prisoners. It's a mutiny. This is a mutiny. Like they're just like you're like <laughs> shut up. Like what? Are we that dumb that we didn't know this was a mutiny? Come on, come on. Okay. Anywho, let's go on to number four. All right. So number four, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, here I wrote down. This is basically Iron Man's arc. 
Moving on. <laughs> but in high school. Yeah. Um, yeah, ma'am. Like this. So I think, I mean, this really is a, this is the John Hughes film, but for Spider-Man. It's great. It's a really great, great film. But I think this is really about when Peter Parker has to become Spider-Man here. And that the two kind of, kind of um, become, kind of become one. And there's a very, very interesting part that he's not able to do this. I, I guess it's kind of a Christ thing. You kind of say that like with you, um, half is like divinity and then you have Christ like humanity. They are like one thing is Peter man can't be just Spider-Man and he can't, and he, he can't separate the two. They really do have to be one thing because when he becomes too much Spider-Man, like when he gets, too, so he, he, he comes to a point where he gets too into being Spider-Man where he says he's so beyond high school right now. And what then happens because he becomes popular. Well, Spider-Man becomes, becomes a popular and he just gets so caught up in, in it all that he then screws up and almost kills a whole bunch of people. And he doesn't really start to really regain his standings until he kind of is denied by being Spider-Man by, I mean, at the level that he was by Iron Man says like, you're done. And then when he basically starts trying in school again, being hanging out with all of his friends, just really being grounded in his own like humanity that he then finds himself and then, you know, really like really does at that great scene at, at the end finds the strength to be both Spider-Man and Peter Parker at the same time. Well, they're just one thing. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, that's, that was a major theme in Spider-Man two, the original um, Sam Raimi version mm. mm-hmm. was like, he over Spider-Man his life and his professor's like, Peter, you know, I believe in you, but you're like missing assignments. You're always late. And he's like, I know, but blah, blah, blah. And that's the idea of Peter Parker's like, how does this kid know how to do, how does this kid know how to balance? And one of the things when I first saw Spider-Man Homecoming, I think we talked about it in the show, I used to get so annoyed with, like, the high school-isms, oh, God, I'm going to say it again, of Hollywood, like, you know, just, I'm rushing off, you know, I'm, I'm being impulsive. Mm-hmm. But in the end, when I saw it, when I watched it again last night with my children, they were terrified of the of the uh, vulture. Um, Shut up, kids. <laughs> Enjoy your nightmares. <laughs> Daddy has the podcast. This is Michael uh, Keaton. Appreciate him. <laughs> Soon he will be the bird man. Um but the uh, the whole experience of of him as a high school student, I just I was like, I think they did actually a very good job with that. I agree. I this think kid for- who so desperately wants to be an Avenger, he doesn't just want to be a superhero. He wants to be an Avenger, and then he just constantly gets rebuffed by Happy and Tony and all that stuff. Well, and, and it's tough too because how do you go from being an Avenger for all intents and all in, all intents and purposes to your Spanish class? One step at a time, Luke. One step at a time. <laughs> you know, how do you go from that? And uh, yeah, I think this is the best film I've ever seen to really for these kinds of films for the superhero genre to be about high school kids. It is like that. Like there are so many times where I was watching, and I was like, "That is exactly how a high school kid would act." Like that's it. <laughs> like it's just I've I have seen that countless times. <laughs> that's it, right there. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, I just it's a it's just there's a really beautiful and I think it's uh kind of awesome that they uh that at the end of the film that uh Aunt May finds out that he's Spider-Man. Cuz again, I I think this is going to be a Spider-Man where him and Peter Parker are pretty seamless. Cuz he's been through that arc now. I like that idea. That gives it just as much newness. Yeah. Of the side Spider-Man motif. You know, you're introduced to MJ at the end. 
Aunt May knows. <laughs> what the? F- hey, oh, so great. Let's go. Yeah. My kids even liked that. They were like, what was she going to say? And I said, what the what? So his face, like, because I, I watched this, because we actually watched that scene twice, because both me and my wife thought it was awesome. And I and the last time through, I watched his face, and it's just so, like, oh, I just got caught. Like, it's the, like, it's the face we've all made, like, one point in time for being caught doing some stupid thing that our parents were really, really angry about. Yeah, for me, coincidentally enough, it was fighting crime. <laughs> it's all, so... One quick thing I want to ask you, when you saw this in the movie theater, how did people react when they found out that, um, that like, Michael Keaton was his date's dad? Uh, I think we got, I, was that a nerd gas sometime? I think that might have been. It might have been like, oh! They I don't think it was a disappointed. No, oh, no. Aaron and, like, countless others in the theater gasped out loud. <laughs> it was really, it was one of those just cool moments where it's like oh, everyone, you know, and just so you have like eighty people going oh, like like that. It was awesome. I didn't expect it at all. I mean, it's very obvious now in in hindsight, but I just wasn't thinking it was because which because it, it's just a really fun film. It's just a really fun. I mean, you have seen this movie before. This is the Breakfast Club for all intents and purposes. <laughs> just done in superhero mode about trying to find who you are and just saying this is who I'm going to be. And, um, it's great. You know, I think it's very interesting that his. Because he makes stupid, like, he makes stupid, it's about the stupid choices we make when we're high school kids. That we don't care about our friends as much as we should. We care about these things that are going to make us feel special and feel feel important. Because you're trying to find your identity. Kind of goes back to the whole, they kind of had to make a phase one film here. Because that's what high school kids are. They're in phase one. Trying to figure out who they are. So it so it kind of so I think with Iron Man in this film it does kind of make sense that he kind of that he has the arc of Iron Man one and two, just in one movie. Mm, yeah. So my mom was getting on a plane today with my dad, and she sent me a text message saying, "At the airport, we're gone for a week. Love you." And I texted back, "Have fun." And then I said, "Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Don't do anything I would do." You know, there's a <laughs> there's a small gray area right there in the middle. That's where you stay. And my mom responded, okay, getting on the plane, bye. <laughs> I was like, that was Tony Stark's. Don't do anything I would do. And definitely don't do anything I wouldn't do. There's a, there's a little gray area in there, and that's where you operate. So th- this film is kind of odd because it is it like it is the Marvel film, but it's also kind of not. This is, a, this is a Sony movie. And so I think you have elements where this does have the Marvel stuff in it, and it is a marvel movie and they should i think for where it's good they should get the credit but i think one thing that you really don't see that kind of bothered me is the consequences from from the civil war film you don't see tony being distraught at the end of that when he drops him off because when he drops him off after being out at the airport that would have been after his fight with captain america at the at the end of civil war and i feel like tony would have been way more broken after that and just not been so like oh i'm just i'm just trying to get the door you know because he, he just like almost killed or almost killed by one of his best friends and so i think you could also make the argument that tony is going through all that stuff behind closed doors and kind of gives it all to happy you know to me what you just said reminds me of star wars where um in the force awakens after han solo's killed spoiler it reminds me of how chewy Princess Leia goes up to Rey instead of to Chewie. 
Like yeah, that was yeah, just a gross oversight, you know, like totally should have hugged Chewie, you know, your lifelong friend that was your husband's best friend for decades. Instead, you go and hug this new girl who's known him for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, and you pointed that out and I was like, holy crap, that's true. And every time I watch it, that always leaves a sour taste. It bothers me. It bothers yeah. me still. I mean, I, I get it. I can like kind of. No, no, it's just a misstep. It is just a misstep. But it just bothers me. Yeah, and I feel the exact same way about that. What what you just said brought me right there. Like, no, Iron Man's not making funny jokes. Iron Man's devastated that he just found out that his mom was killed. Like, or his dad was Mm -hmm. all murdered and all this stuff. Like, this is horrific. This is horrific. He's devastated. He just beat up his best friend. You know, like all these, all the things. Okay, next, next thing, next thing. We got to keep moving, man. (laughs) <laughs> it's one one and a half hours into this. I know. Listen, th- listen. There's a freaking lot here. So, yeah. All right. That's Spider Man. There, there's there's a lot more that could be said. Okay. So, what what is the theme of Spider Man? Would you say the theme is high school? It's <laughs> just school trying man. to no. It's trying to find your identity, and just kind of trying to really just get an understanding of like who you are and what does it mean to be that. A brain, a beauty, a jock, a rebel, and a recluse. I can't believe this is really happening to me. And touch each other in a way they never dreamed possible. Why'd you do that? Because I knew you wouldn't. The Breakfast Club. You know, so for him, you know, again, he needs to be Spider-Man. He can be, like, like, you know, like, he needs to be Spider-Man. Like he says in this war film, you know, if you have a power to stop the bad things from happening and you don't, that's not good, right? So he needs to be Spider-Man. But how can he be Spider-Man? He needs to be Spider-Man, but care about Spanish, care about Spanish class, care about his academic. Because anyway, he drops out. Like in the beginning of the film, he drops out of everything. He drops out of band. Drops out of like a math club or you know, whatever. And he he doesn't help out with the national academic decathlon thing. And by the and by the end and by and by the end of the film and by trying to be Spider-Man too much, he puts his friends in danger and almost kills them then he almost kills a whole bunch of people on a boat and it's when he starts to find the balance between those two things because he should be spider-man when he takes down the plane that he should do like because no one else can do it but him at that point in time but the very next day he's at school and he's you know at his like team meeting because that's what he needs to be doing it's a great film to kind of combat a cheatia actually in a weird way why would you say that because you're finding the the wherewithal to be the hero, but also in the mundane. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And just getting into the daily grind of your life and like, you know, not being so distracted by like not letting your drive or the things you want kind of contr- like be the only thing that you care about. All right. Thor Ragnarok. Beautiful movie. Family issues again. So what, what are you talking about? I know. There's so there's a lot of great articles on this. Actually, I saw a few calling this the smartest MCU film out there. I think a lot of people would give that title to Black Panther. I think they're both pretty I think this film is not quite as on the nose as Black Panther, which in some ways makes it a bit more interesting. This film to me is really about the consequences of imperialism. You know, Thor's dad, Odin has tried to conquer the nine realms. And in the past, we thought it was through justice doing, you know, trying to stop people who are trying to hurt others. And in this film, no, he took it by violence. He took it by force. He took it by his, by his daughter, who was the goddess of death, 
when he realized he'd gone too like too like too far, he had to like you know hide her from the rest of the world. He tries to hide from the sins of his of his past, and you know there's that great line that she brings up to uh, Thor in Act Three, where she goes, "Where do you think all this gold came from?" I think that was my favorite part in the movie. That was like the central. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was taking notes. That was like the central theme when she said that, like, what this this whole empire was built on the backs of our victims. And then something happened. The interesting thing is the consequences of an Odin being a warmonger and then having, for some reason, having a change of thought, a change of heart, a change of mind. They don't tell you why. Right? And then he becomes benevolent. And she makes she almost spits that word out until he decided to become mm-hmm. a benevolent ruler or whatever. Um, that notion that you can't have an Asgard without the dead, you know, with uh, at its foundations. But what was it in his past that changed him? You know, Bor was the father of Odin, and he fought off the Dark Elves. He wasn't seen as a tyrant, killer, murderer guy. Mm-hmm. But yet Odin, apparently for the first years of his reign with his daughter, did that. The daughter of Rene Russo's character, so that meant she also had to lie about their mm-hmm. origins and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But also the consequence of that benevolent turn gives us a hero like Thor. So the consequences can be good. So you have something like the British Empire, which was is the <laughs> kind of the heart and soul of imperialism. The sun never sets on the British Empire, right? And uh, you know, it spanned the whole world. And yet, through that, that enabled them to do things like end the slave trade, right? So international slave trade was the most profitable activity in the British Empire. And within 20 years of evangelical Christians preaching against it, you know, and people thinking that they were going to take economic suicide as a whole nation, they became the global naval force against the slave trade and almost mm-hmm. entirely ended African slave trade uh, forever, you know? And so uh, it is interesting that you have the sins of imperialism, but what stepped in into Odin's life that turned him to benevolence, turned him away from his daughter? Not perfect, right? He, he tried to contain her, but mm-hmm. instead he imprisoned her. But it also gave us a Thor. I think it's her. I think he realized how bad she had become. And then, because there's this really quick part here. At, at, during that, I think it's the end scene as well, where it's implied that he did a thing with her like he did with Thor in the first Thor film, which is like, you know, I'm going to teach you how to be good. You can't be, you know, you can't wield this hammer until you're good. Because the hammer was first hers. And my guess is that she failed, that she never really, and she was just so far gone. And he goes, oh, oh, I've gone too far. I need to lock you up and dust this under the rug, which he constantly tries to do in, in all of his films. Hmm. At least that's, 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 that's what I got. I mean, it, make, that. it makes sense that she is the child. So there's this line from uh, a, a letter called De Regno. Uh, believed to have been written by St. Thomas Aquinas. And he says, sons virtually sit at the table of their father's sins, committing the same ones, but with greater frequency and less pangs of conscience or something like that. Because you see the example of someone that you admire, that you look up to. So she, he, she becomes the executioner of Odin, 
right? She says mm-hmm. that to, to mm-hmm. the goofball. What's the, what was his name? Uh, Urban. That's his real name is Urban. Something, yeah, something. Keith, Ur- Keith Urban. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carl Urban. But uh, oh, what is what is his name? It's like Rage or oh, he has such a yeah. simple R name. You got Anywho. the great like Texas joke. <laughs> Des and Troy. When I put them together, they destroy. Uh, but no, she has this son of a bitch that totally threw me off my thought. Oh, so she's sitting at the table of her father's sins, committing the same one. She's the executioner. That's right. He, she tells him, "You need to, every good king needs an executioner. You'll be mine." Um, I, as I was for my father. So her role was not just to be a, a general, but to be the executioner for the king. And my guess is he went to conquest she went for bloodlust because there can be an element at least maybe self-deluded element of nobility in conquest mm-hmm. i'm sure the conquistadors thought that they were the most noble things on the face of the earth and history kind of tells us a different story but um the the notion of like he can't hide behind noble lies anymore like rome is the light remember that line from gladiator like why am i out here killing all these germans far from home because rome is the light we need to spread the light mm-hmm. and it's this notion of like he sees his daughter go become consumed with the logical consequences of what he's doing. So then he pulls back because it horrifies him, but he pulls back in all the wrong ways, right? He is no God, my friend. And so he, uh, yeah, imprisons her to cover it up. You know, all the things even Mm -hmm. redoes the interior of the palace so that people will over time, forget what was there in the first place. Garden parties. Well, you know, and it's interesting because even, yeah, no, absolutely. Like even, and it's funny, like, no one has any memory of it at all. It's almost like he, like, just erases her from existence, pretty much. And just, uh, but the the end of the film is so interesting because he's really accepted that, you know, he's 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 got the hindsight of a, of a like, person who knows they're going to die and is okay with that, has. Where he speaks to his sons, even, even though, like, one's kind of like a genocidal, you know, he's he's like a maniac. This is like Loki. He speaks to them both equally as sons. He says that I love you both. Like you know, it's um, it's really kind of it's kind of crazy. It's a really beautiful scene actually because you see like Loki's face and, but you even see that within how he, how he raised Loki, he was wrong. So he's not. He still hasn't like just because he tried to like change his ways doesn't mean that he went to totally good. You know, like Thor becomes the good person that he could have been. Which I think is what he tells him at the end of the film when he says, no, you are, like Thor goes, I'm not as strong as you. And then Ode responds with, he, he goes like, no, you're stronger. Cue Led Zeppelin. <laughs> One thing that's uh, very interesting about this film is the word home is repeated constantly. And I think this is a very interesting idea of like, what is home? And obviously there's, there's a whole Asgard is not a place, it's like people which is very interesting but, but before we go into that i want to talk about how i think there's there is this part here where home for both like loki and thor because it's like is a thor film but this is a loki film almost yeah not yeah. not quite but it's pretty close to being one i think they kind of understand that home there's just this very interesting exchange they have in the elevator they're going on to like do their plan where thor tell where thor tells loki like you do well here on like what is it like Sakar or whatever? Yeah. Um yeah. stay yes, Sakar, like stay here. This place is perfect for you. And then you like have like Loki who 
kind of agrees. And they're both actually kind of sad by that fact. Now they're both kind of playing each other. But I think they both also see that there's some truth to this as well, that this would be a good place for him. And I think they're both like, but my home has always been with you. And I think by the fact that Loki stays with him at the end of the film, you find that like their home is where the other is. No matter what, if there's one theme throughout all of the Thor films, you can't is you can't choose your family. You have, but you can choose to try to like to try to to try to like support them. You can choose to try to like love them for as for as bad as like Loki is. His mother just like, like his mother adores him. You know he's destroyed when like she dies. If Asgard is not a place, it is it like people. Then home for them is with each other, not the palace in Asgard. Hmm. Yeah, I still don't know. Is Ath- is what dimension is Asgard? <laughs> it doesn't matter. But the spaceship flew to Asgard. See, I just okay. Here's my take on that: is somehow the big spaceship, the one that, like Loki was on, was that was able to make it through the Devil's Anus somehow. Mm. Right, right, right. I'll give you that. It makes it through the Devil's Anus. But then, as it's flying, it encounters the big ship at the end. <laughs> like. Like, oh, we just left this magical place where there's a man the size of a mountain who just blew up the planet. <laughs> I don't get it, Luke, but I want to get it. Here's my idea with the Thor Ragnarok family issues. At some point, I feel like they might be beating a dead horse, but right now, I feel like the Thor-Loki dynamic of... I mean, like, Thor was equally deceived about Loki as anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. He thought he was his blood brother. He never thought Loki was capable. Uh, he knew Loki wanted to be king, but not that, you know, that he wanted to kill Odin and do, do all the things. And, and Loki actually didn't want to kill Odin, if you remember from the first movie. He wanted to stage it as if the Frost Giant was going to kill Odin, and then he saved the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you have all of these things kind of unfolding where Loki desperately wants... He's almost like, what is the, the, the Game of Thrones dude who has his wiener chopped off? He's like that guy, Thalen oh. Greyjoy, Theon yeah, Greyjoy, yeah. Theon Grey. Man, yeah. I haven't seen that show in forever. Theon Grey, don't write me any emails, people. Um, Theon Greyjoy, <laughs> it, he desperately wants to be a Stark. He wants to be a person of the North, not these, you know, sailing folk. Mm-hmm. And his whole heart is that, but it drives him because he's not that to do horrible things. So Theon Greyjoy and is the Loki of of Game of Thrones, and it's interesting because. You know, you would have what's his name, John Star, John Snow, being like, like we were brothers. We were brothers. I thought of you as a brother, and look at how much you were, you you mm-hmm. just ruined everything. So I think that's cool in terms of. I still think there's plenty of room to mine. I just really hope one day Loki dies and they're See, he's just dead. I think their arc is done. I think he dies yeah. in one of the upcoming films. I think Thor dies and then it goes to a woman. Yeah. Well, I mean, I yeah, I I think this is their arc. I think. Um, for all intents and purposes, their arc is done. Their relationship, because I just think there isn't anything else. You know, I mean, you could keep playing that out in all of its like nuances, but the, when he, when he caught when he when he threw the glass at him and Loki caught it, that was like, hey, I'm here now. I'm with you. We are together. Yeah. And he's like, and he stands by him while he's on the throne, while he's on the thing that Loki's always wanted. So I really like this movie. I think it's a really, really good, good film. What do you think about the theme of 
of revolution. Yeah, so I think uh, one of the very interesting parts about this is in order to really face the consequences of their um, of the, the sins of his family and of the sins of Asgard, they have to, they have to revolt and destroy and kind of like you know blow up Asgard. Yeah, that I think that's the end of like that is the bill coming due. For yeah, the sins exactly. of Asgard's past, exactly. Asgard has to end, and Thor he wins over the Valkyrie because he basically says, like, she starts, you know, mocking the throne. He's like, "No, I agree. I'm one. I'm I'm 100 there with you. I want to now help me just save people's lives. Like, ignore mm-hmm. all that other stuff. I'm right there. Help me destroy these people's lives. And in the end, he's willing to destroy the throne, the kingdom, all of it uh, to pay that debt. Mm. Thor Ragnarok, man, deep. It's, yeah, no, it really is. It's a very good movie. And I think, that, and like, oh, one of the two that I should add is, so this film is the beginning of a three-film arc for Hulk. So oh, really? I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I read that when this film first came out. So I would assume it concludes with Avengers 4. So I think Hulk has a very interesting arc here. So we could, and we don't have to go too deep into that, but um, this idea of, like, you know, all of a sudden Hulk, it's because if you notice, you know, he's the Hulk for two years hulk has a more extensive vocabulary now banner kind of felt like before him and hulk both had one hand on the wheel now it was this he was in the trunk and hulk was was in the front seat of the car hulk begs thor to stay with him hulk doesn't want thor to leave he destroys the plane because of that hulk is kind of vulnerable with thor when he hulk is upset that earth hates him he wants to help but he knows he can he can't control himself at times and it's caused people to hate him and he feels terrible about that. It's really interesting. That is. I like that you just connected all those dots. Cool. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Let's do Black Panther. Now, this is really deep. We can we are an hour and fifty minutes into this. So I don't know if we're gonna do Black Panther justice, but we're gonna try. And we also did our um I don't think we have I think I'm pretty sure everyone who has heard this podcast here's our other one catching foxes so we did a great review on black panther an episode a while ago i don't know we'll try to keep this short because there's so much freaking great things going on here black panther okay so one big theme here is this really is the response to colonialism or imperialism as well you kind of see it in that really great line where black panther his sister which she addresses the cia guy she calls him colonizer um and there are really two things going on here is that how do you respond to colonialism? Well, you can ignore it, which is what Wakanda's done, done in the past for a, you know, a fairly complicated reason. But, or you could try to like face it, which is a person like Killmonger had to do. He had no choice really, as did Wakanda at the end of this film. They choose, they choose to like face it and to bring their, to be a part of the greater world now. Yeah, it's hard for me to try to go through this and parse out my thoughts because Black Panther Goes to Confession was the name of the Catching Foxes episode where we did it. Um, I think, number one, it is a an appropriate response. So, like, it's cool that you get to have a movie that is thoroughly, like, trying to capture the zeitgeist of black America right now, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's not like they have to be nice about the hit of of the past in order to make white people feel comfortable because the writers the directors the producers i think every major 
person on it was a uh, was an African American, right? So this was yeah. meant to be from Marvel's universe, a totally like a a black an African an African American story, and I think it does a good job treating all these themes. Killmonger, again, like why do bad people go bad? They go bad more often than not because they're pursuing a good thing wrongly, right? They are willing, but here's the interesting thing. They're will in, in kind of Catholic terms, we would say they're willing to violate the natural law, the moral code written on every man and woman's heart. They're willing to violate it because they see that there's some greater thing that they're trying to accomplish. And in Killmonger's case, it's he wants to punish Wakanda for stepping away from its responsibility in all the over all these years. And especially the royal family for killing his dad and leaving him an orphan. But he excels in all of these things, but it's just he's filled with hate and violence. But there is a element of like, I mean, he's how could he not be right? And mm -hmm. so you have all these things, and you have someone like Black Panther who has the hate and the violence seen in Civil War, where he just wants blind vengeance and he doesn't care. When he's fighting Bucky, Bucky's like, "I didn't kill your dad." And he's like, "Well, then why did you run? Wakanda forever!" And there's still these. <laughs> There's these elements of, you know, like, you know you're doing evil. You are going too far. You took the name Killmonger. You know it's an evil thing what you're doing, but you think there's a greater good at the end of the line. Mm -hmm. And here, and Wakanda is doing the opposite. Like, for it, well, no, I mean, I guess they're doing the same thing. Their vision of the greater good is to remain hidden and protected and keep its traditions alive. And all the different peoples of the Wakandan, you know, nation mm -hmm. keep their traditions alive by 100 like even putting up a shield around it to hide it to hide the country from satellites and all this stuff um and they ignore the world and and that killmonger can't 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 deal with there's this really great line from i think it's a it's like a russian playwright i don't remember who and it's there is that and it goes there are no villains just unhappy people hmm. i think you were thinking of hurting people hurt others exactly <laughs> um be the change uh one thing that's very interesting that the one one question that this film puts out there is what is africa um what is you know and you have the white like european understanding of africa which is you have like a british lady explain to killmonger where these masks came from they're like history and he goes no you're just wrong you're completely wrong and this idea of like you have the european i, I, I read this great article I think it, it was really deep and kind of I'm still trying to come to terms with it. But this guy even says, like, even just a term like Africa, when we hear it, we think of a white version of it. And I was like, oh, gosh. Um, and so this idea of like, you know, in the bulk of people's in like our minds, when we think of Africa, we have that we have the lady, the lady at at the museum. We have her understanding of of Africa, which is viewed through like a white lens. And then you have the black understanding of Africa, which, and you have two different extremes of this, where you have, you have the Black Panther T'Challa, and you, and you have Killmonger. But on T'Challa's, on like his side, it's his home, it's his culture, his roots, his identity. It's the same thing for Killmonger. But there are more ideas and things that he was like robbed of. So he was never able to experience them. 
And so, you know, I think back to that great line in the film where he says, can you just imagine that some kid in the projects in Oakland who believed in, who believed in like fantasy tales or like fairy tales. And that's what I think of this. And I'm, um, and I, I, I hope I'm, I'm trying to do this ideal. I'm trying to, as a white, as a white, like suburban male, I know I, I'm probably doing a crap job of giving this idea justice. So I apologize if anyone's screaming at their iPod or their iPod, or their like iPhone, or going, look, they're wrong. If you're screaming at your iPod, say hi to 2006. <laughs> Wait to see what happens to uh, Hannah Montana. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, but anyways, like, this is just the idea of like, you have these two black understandings of what you know like africa are one's been able to experience africa as home africa's culture africa's roots africa as their identity and this like other person who wasn't able to have that in all of its fullness mm-hmm. just super freaking deep <laughs> mm. you know it's kind of like uh hearing you say it and you know talk about what other people have made the comments on it's almost like what Irish people who grew up in America think about Ireland, like it's like the motherland, you know, Mm -hmm. it's this mythical Mm -hmm. green emerald. And, you know, especially if you're Catholic, right? You think it's the most Catholic place in the face of the earth. You think it's pure and undefiled. It's the promised land. Uh, It's the root of who I really am. And then you go there and you're like, I mean, it's incredibly beautiful. And the people drop F-bombs like a lyric but uh or melodious melodious f-bombs but um it's a place just like any other i mean like in reality we're all human and our countries are all basically similar in some regards but here's where it's like different here those i think with a lot of african americans who are in that those like roots and that and that and that cultural identity they were robbed of that yeah not allowed to maintain it so they had you know um what's that one propaganda line about like all the white people what i used to envy the most about you was like your like sense of history right yeah. or your, your, your identity your sense, your sense of history and your generational wealth yeah you know, and they, that was all stripped from them yeah yeah and so one of the themes of this film was how do you respond to that uh you have killmonger who wants to respond through like violence and then you have t'challa who wants to respond through charity and aid and help and yeah and uh both trying to write you know and then you also have t'challa and and i think his family is and the other people around him having to face the uh, mistakes of the past that his family made you know he has where he goes to like the soul i believe it's called the soul the uh, soul plane he you know confronts his like ancestors and he screams in in like tears you were all of you wrong it's just very powerful very very powerful um one thing that I really want to bring up here that I know we have to like move on is the color of this film is really important. Yep. Um, so I don't even have a basic understanding of this. I have a basic understanding of the idea. So film, if you think about how does the medium actually work is you're seeing thousands of like pictures scrolling as fast as they can. And you have to actually color coordinate understand these are probably the wrong words but the idea you'll I'll, I'll hopefully I'll explain the idea well is that the colors you're able to like arrange them a certain way so the colors pop on the screen and you're able to like see them all the way the 
director intends to. And that's one of the roles of the director. Uh, I, I think it's the, the cinematographer or whatever, or the per- people in like lighting. One of their jobs is to make sure that all of the colors are arranged in a way on the film and how it's shot and stuff so that it pops on screen. And back in the day, back in the 1950s, the 1960s, it was done in a way to help people who were white pop on the screen. So they didn't ever coordinate the colors in a way to help a black person be distinct on screen. So this is why you have this idea back. I think it's the 19 in, in the sixties or so there was this guy who started to say, Hey, like film was really racist. And like, here's why, like it was actually, kodak who did that so all if you go back and see like all the things that they said how to make your colors on film pop it was all arranged to do it for white people now that's obviously a thing that changed over time because now when we watch a film like people don't look and i don't mean dark as in their skin tone i mean like dark as in their like image it's kind of like when you like have like a photograph and people like look dark and you can't really see a lot of lot of the like features and stuff same kind of thing how do you arrange the colors how do you undo the focus what kind of film do do you like use here that's going to make the images on the screen dis how are you going to make them look distinct and we've been able to do that now in a way where people of color can look distinct on film they're you're able to have like guides and like rules that you're like able to follow to do that but i think this film is important because in a film that is completely um and I just use and I just use this term because it's not just African Americans or people from Africa. There are you know black people from all over the world that are a part of this film. So I'm just going to use the word black, and I apologize if that's offensive. I don't. I do not mean it to be. But you have a film that is done and with an entire cast of black people that the fact they're able to make them so distinguish on screen with all of these colors isn't really a, like a new thing, but to be so in a film that grossed over a billion dollars that's one of the biggest films of this year that is monumental and that is a big deal this is a this film is so important i think it's one of the most important films of our lifetime hmm. and i think that's one of the reasons why and it's kind of like a small thing but the fact that and again this isn't a new thing they're able to do but it's the fact that they're able to take this thing in one of the biggest films of of, of all time to make a film like this would not have been possible when our, you know, parents were kids. Like it was not possible yet. People didn't know how to do that. They weren't trying to do that. Well, the, the film that Kodak produced, the physical film itself did not receive black tones. Well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So they would tell you, yeah, it's the, 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 I don't know, silver nitrate film or whatever they use it itself would over darken black skin and their features so that there was no distinction of shadow and skin tones and hues so that um the 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 visuals when black people were you know if it was evening time black people would get almost completely washed out of the mm-hmm. scene and mm-hmm. i'm trying to think of a movie there was a movie uh, i was watching a fairly old movie and it was like dusk, and it was like camouflage, man, for black people. It was like you'd see top hats and shirts and pants, mm-hmm. but you could barely make out the actual people because mm-hmm. 
the, the and they did not care. Like I'm sure the director looking at the film was like, "Well, you can't even see their damn faces." But that's the film. Like it wasn't even techniques. It was the film itself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I so it was. Yeah. 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 No. And so um, they went back, and now it's actually funny. Like if you use digital um, a digital SLR, I was taking a class on Lynda.com. And this guy was doing a presentation on how to do um, interviews because I wanted to start interviewing people at my church and getting their testimonies. And so I'm, inter- I'm watching these videos, and the guy talks about, he said, you know, more often than not, you need to put makeup on white people. Um, then, and the guy teaching it was African-American. And he said, uh, he's, he's funny, dude, and he always throws in like these like funny little throwaway lines where he's like, unless you have beautiful mocha-colored skin like me, now, I happen to be blessed with this beautiful, smooth, rich mocha complexion, but some of the people that sit before your camera may be a little more or even a lot more pale than me. But um, the digital SLR-type cameras nowadays um, actually, in, in a lot of ways, do better, at least in this guy's perspective, when you're filming on a set with lighting or like an interview set. It actually is better for people with darker skin tones. But, um, yeah, it is It is fascinating. Like, you see this stuff, and, and this, is, this is the part of the institutional racism that people don't understand it's like i know kodak couldn't even bo- be bothered to make film that made black people look human a combination of all of these chemicals creates a film's color balance and for many decades chemicals that would bring out various reddish yellow and brown tones were largely left out like they just they're just black people and that's that's all you see is the blackness and you know like all of that stuff and you totally ignore facial expressions because literally the 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 shadows around the eyes all that stuff is is just gone and so um Mm -hmm. unless it's like a really well-lit set so yeah isn't that crazy it is i think i think this is such an important movie not only because of what it is well no i mean because of like what it is but of it 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 could have been it could it could like it could have been such like a basic film could have tackled like basic themes you didn't need you know like just the fact when you say like, basic all i hear is uh what's her name that white rapper lady from australia iggy azalea iggy azalea like you basic bitch <laughs> that's, <laughs> exactly. that's all i'm thinking i mean it could be like thor where it's just like oh i've been slighted and i must i must grow up you know which is fine but like this film i mean this ends with a guy saying if like please don't bear me here bear me out in the sea with all of my like ancestors my ancestors yeah who who would rather die than face a a, um, life in bonds like a disney marvel film ended with that line (laughs) (laughs) it's just like it's so great it's such a great and that's and it's it's just such a fun film too yeah so it was who's your favorite character in the film i'll tell you mine his sister she was yeah he was too like brooding and unsure of himself and she was like hilarious fun smart like she's all the things right because she doesn't have to be the main person mm -hmm. as a person who likes to brood i was kind of into it i still love black panther he he brewed in civil war for a bit yeah um i i do like uh the bold warrior lady as well she's great infinity war themes now we're going to do our closing thing i'm going to edit the crap out of this to get it under two hours it's not i don't think because this could go on for 45 minutes shit (laughs) okay but we have to do this justice this is the whole point infinity war themes the point of this podcast i think in one way was to ask the question is is there a broader story being told with its with with its and with its with its own like with its own like themes and if so what is that broader story so before we go into that 
So like phase one, we talked about that. We there's a that phase a lot about identity, and especially towards the end, you have this like vibe on the relationship between like what does it mean to be free? You know, you have the Avengers and, and kind of like order as well with that. Phase two, there's this idea of trying to stay together as well as this whole creation slash extinction theme going on. You see that in a lot of the phase two of uh, phase two like films going on and if we look at phase if, if we look at phase three and this part is totally up for debate this phase three i think there are really two things going on here you have like what i kind of call of gods and men this idea of people's trying to you know kind of be, be being pulled between just these fantastic um a divine crazy godlike or um as in, as big as God elements going on, and just like like men, the Neil, sorry, the, the like real gritty everyday life, which will be shown with like Thanos, who comes, who basically wants to ruin, kill. He wants the power of an omnipotent. He's trying to become an omnipotent god with yeah. all of this power to like wipe out half the universe. There's also this other kind of interesting part of like phase three where it is much more about in about trying to fight internal strife as opposed to trying to combat catastrophic catastrophic threats. Mm. I don't really think you have any catastrophic like threats in phase three for the most part, like world ending things you're trying Uh, to stop. And yet we forget Dr. Strange. Well, okay, so that's that's the exception i would agree to that but and yet we forget guardians of the galaxy who wanted to end an entire galaxy no but here's here's i see i agree with what you're i agree with what you're saying there thor ragnarok literally blew no, up a planet no 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 because it's not it's about trying to cause. they're trying to cause ragnarok it's not about trying to stop it's about trying to cause it so it does because i because i thought that too Go on. You know, that's why I wrote (laughs) Outway. And then afterwards, I was like, wait a second, but does it? So, okay, let's just take Guardians as the example. I would agree. And this is not like a hard, fast roll that each film has to follow to a T. This is just like an overall kind of thing that's going on. It's much more about the drama between Peter and his dad and the rest of the Guardians and and their issues than is about trying to save the world. That's there. That is, that is, that is. Obviously, it has like to absolutely be there somewhat. Okay. Yeah, but it's it's not. Um, it's the drama is what's going on with those like relationships, and the it's this in a maternal thing that's have that's it's really about between Peter and his dad. That's the battle there, and what happens to the rest of the universe is a consequence of that battle. So I would agree that kind of doesn't apply there, but I think that there's a little bit like nuance there. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, Doctor Doctor Strange. I would agree with that as well, except for this one little itty bitty part here that kind of makes me go. Eh, but I think I think you're right. I, I think it does. It's more about the catastrophic thing. Is that what's going on there is really just limited to that part of uh, Hong Kong? Nah. Now it's, it was meant to take over the whole world, but every but where it all takes place, the big threat is just in Hong Kong. Okay. Just in that building right there. So, but I would agree. So, I, I think what two, like four out of the six films, yeah, are just internal issues, which is very different from every other phase. Yeah. But now you have the the problem of maturity. 
right? Now that we're maturing in our roles, what's the next thing? Well, the infighting. It's not just about taking down a big baddie. Mm-hmm. And it is funny because when you think about, like, cartoons and stuff that try to deal with this, it's always when the big bad guy shows up that all the internal strife goes away and they pat themselves on the shoulder. They take the easy Hollywood win, which is, oh, we're reconciled now because we fought for each other and blah, blah, blah. We do care. But this is like, it, it, we already presuppose that we care, but now we're going in completely different directions. Mm-hmm. Like now we have to reconcile. Like we have to like yeah. get through those those issues in order to defeat the bad guy. You know, uh, like... Peter has to find the good in his family and he has to, to in order to like beat his dad. Sorry, the, the, the good in the guardians. That's what holds him on to all of that. Um, one thing that's also very interesting is, and this is just a symbolic thing, um, is that in this, in uh, phase like three, all of the um, original heroes from phase one lost their weapon. Captain America lost his, lost his, lost his shield, Iron Man, his little kind of like reactor thing. Now he has like tons of other ones. It's just a symbolic thing that was destroyed by Captain America. And then, then you have like Thor, he lost his like, what'd you call it? I call it Mew Mew in the notes. (laughs) Mjolnir or whatever. Mjolnir, like he lost that. Mm. That's interesting. Gomer Gormley, my, the question i pose to you and i know we're trying to end soon but mm-hmm. I, I do want to give this like just it's due i'm a credit of people who have you know heard let's talk about this for like hours and hours what's the broader story being told here is there is there like a broader story being told and if so what is it drawing on my comic book knowledge i would say that i know i <laughs> i don't feel um I don't know if I know what the broader story. What I was going to say is in the comic book universe, every summer there's the crossover event. Mm-hmm. And so in springtime, they start building to it. And in the fall, they resolve it. And then you can get back to the ordinary time of the of the liturgical year of comic books. So I feel like in so many ways, though, the MCU knows this and says, all right, we're going to do Avengers and Avengers 2. And Avengers 2 has to be Ultron. But these things have to affect what comes be- or what comes before has to work on what comes after. And um, I don't know if I would say that there is a broader story, but I have a feeling you think there is. I do. I do. I, I think I don't think there's a broader story in the sense of the comic books where you say, like, here's um, I don't think it's not it's not like linear by any means necessary. And I think you do have to go so broad that it's almost like well i mean like it's kind of easy but i i think like it is trying to build towards something like clearly in age of ultron they have the stones they've got the stones they have one of the stones in guardian of the galaxies like they know what's coming down the road and they took some of those films and they took like like so like ragnarok was a completely a different movie than what they were hinting at in age of ultron like completely different to the point where it makes the like visions he had kind of pointless, but not really, but kind of. I think it's a story of who am I? Who now when I count when I encounter others who are like we, and then how do we face the problems that we're going? Like, what are we willing to do to face um, the problems that come about because of this? And it's kind of hard because we don't know what like, Infinity Wars, like phase three is kind of only halfway over with. 
so it's a little bit of like um, this. We are we we don't have the benefit of hindsight here quite, but I think there's something going on here in the sense of like, so if this is what we are, what are we willing to do, and what are we going to have to do to save the world? And I I, I think if we're being honest, people are going to die. It's building towards that. It's building, and then and then like in like a lot of ways, they already it's already kind of started. And I think they're going to have to kind of come to a point like Odin did in Thor where they make or they like, you know, like where they make peace, but they're but they know that 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 they have to die. So they're going to die. I don't know that that well, I didn't really articulate that well. Who am I? Who are we? And how do we face this evil together? Is that yeah. what you would say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So people are going to die, one, to pay the unpaid bills of mm-hmm. the brokenness of our... Is it, I, here's my problem. I don't want to overly Christianize these things, but I think there's elements of Christianity that's woven itself through the zeitgeist, right? They can't help tell yeah, a yeah. hero story without referencing Christ. Um, you know, they're not referencing Odysseus, you know, um, or, or Hercules, or Heracles, as he is now known as, which pisses me off, but either way. There is a element of the workings of original sin that I love in all of these. Like Spider-Man saying, I don't trust any man without a dark side. Why is he saying that? Be- Iron it's not because Yeah, that's what I said, right? No, you said Spider-Man. Oh, Iron Man saying, yeah. When Tony Stark says that to Cap, the reality is Cap does have a dark side. We just haven't seen it yet. And in a way, the reason why he doesn't trust people without a dark side is because they just haven't shown or admitted it. They still have it. Mm-hmm. And this element of no matter how strong you are, you can't punch your way out of every problem. And that's one of the things about, like, Captain America, he is the moral good, but he is also super strong. And he's stronger than an ironed-up Tony, right? Like, punching Tony and doing all these things and taking all the hits. He fought Tony toe-to-toe in the Iron Man armor with with Bucky, of course. But... um he's not strong enough to solve these. So what does he do at the end? You know, he goes into hiding like that. That's the thing that I think people um, like you can have the, you can even have the community, but the sin is even in the community, which I think Wakanda demonstrates so well, like Mm -hmm. as a motif against all these things. It's like, this is social sin. This is a whole society agreeing that the world is so messed up. We need to preserve ourselves against it. But in preserving you kind of cause it to get even worse, which is Killmonger's view. You know, um, every every one of these people, no one is perfect. And we can call them gods until, you know, uh, the cows come home. But the idea is they are all tainted with, like, this original sin-styled weakness. Mm-hmm. Thor's arrogance constantly gets him into trouble. Um, you know, uh, the pride of Tony Stark, the... Um, the righteousness of Steve Rogers ends up becoming almost a self-righteousness or a, a too myopic version of righteousness. And so mm-hmm. you have these things constantly unfold. Um, the, the need for a dad overrides Peter Quill's initial common sense that something's not right about ego. You know, why didn't you love my mom? Why didn't you stay with her? Why did you leave her? Why didn't you come back for me? Blah, blah, blah. But then in the end, he plays catch with a, a light ball and he's all good. You know, these these elements where it's like these this lack, this need 
even with superpowers, doesn't get fixed. I think there's this. I think it it really, in a very weird way, is telling um, the story of the relationship between grace and nature. It's always grace and nature with you. It is. I'm fascinated by that whole thing. Um, I'm a technique of Equa. Uh, yeah. No, just, I would agree with you. You cannot deny that in phase three, there's this element of of um, a divinity that people are having to confront. Ego uh, is probably like biggest example of that. You have a little bit of that with the Grandmaster in Thor. He's like celestial, right? Yeah. Um, which is these? They are divine beings, right? Essentially, yeah. Something yeah, yeah. Um, like Thanos is trying to become and like the omnipotent god or an omnipotent god, where he is just the most powerful being in the world. Like hands down, just yeah. do anything. Like he can literally do anything. And you have these people who, and we've clearly experienced in Phase Three, have such profound weaknesses, mm-hmm. and we have seen those weaknesses tear them apart thor has lost his eye they've all lost like iron um captain america lost his like he like lost his uh, he lost his shield which is so key to who he is and he and you can even say perhaps he lost his way yeah like a little bit um iron man has been just broken down tony stark he tries to walk away and he he knows that he can't and he's just so i mean he's a broken man and you know and it's kind of like the cost of being these like of like these like heroes and if you're going to do that like what does that mean is there and i think there is this broader thing when you hear tony talk about this is the end the end of the path that i started us on i don't think he's talking about ultron there no i think he's i think he's talking about iron man one (laughs) no sorry i mean sorry he says that in ultron but I think he's kind of, I mean, it's even in, it's even in one of the trailers for this where it's, you yeah. know, like this is like, there's something, this is all building towards something. And again, I don't think it's like a linear story, but I think there is this dynamic story kind of. Yeah. Going, no, he's saying about on. the vision that, that, that read the Scarlet Witch gave him. Yeah. And he's yeah. saying, he's like, she's messing with your head. And he's like, no, this is, this is the future. This is the well, end of the line. Cause I think he realizes that when at the end of the first avengers when he throws like nuke at the spaceship and all that stuff out there he goes holy crap this is way bigger than just just like this is a something huge is going on here yeah and that's the fear that she taps into in age of ultron and this third and this and this um and the third film the uh third like avengers film is the realization of that fear that fear has come home predictions for infinity war i think that loki dies okay i don't know if captain america and iron man are on screen together at all one of the avengers has to die right yeah i think it's cap i think it's captain america i think yeah no i think i think he might die in the end of the fourth one i think there needs to be a reborn motif of the role of captain america Mm. in a new person so so you think it really could be this one yeah, I think it's this one. Interesting, interesting. Um, give me, uh, give me, give me like one of yours. Um, I think Thanos does not acquire all of the Infinity Rings in this one. Ooh, but I think he comes very close to it. And the last one is when, or the the next movie, Avengers Four, is when it all culminates, where you have to involve Ant Man, Wasp, and 
Carol Danvers, aka Captain Marvel, in the mm-hmm. in the whole deal, especially Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. It'd be funny if Ant Man's the one that saves the day, and it's like this total Frodo Baggins thing. Like it's the little guy that saves the day because no one's looking for him because it's the antithesis of power, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and and Wasp is his Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I I think there's gonna be some element of they all. I mean, this is this is this is obvious, but they're all gonna have to come put together to like face some pain now the pain could be like could be like could be like thanos a thing that they have kind of invited that by just their very existence but i don't know if it's going to be i think that's too basic i think it's going to be like a little bit of like a broader sense i don't know what that i don't know what that pain is going to be but i think there's going to be some aspect of them coming together to confront something yeah um do you you think thor meets the guardians of the galaxy while he's forging a new um a new weapon like a like a new mew mew i think no i think speak okay so i'm gonna base this off okay of... let me say this i don't want spoilers from freaky deaky websites all no, no, i have yeah, seen yeah, yeah. is the very I, first I infinity war trailer i have not seen any others i haven't seen interviews with the cast i've seen none of that no, no, and I'm, I'm, I'm not basing this off of any of that stuff. I'm basing this off of the end credit from Thor Ragnarok, the okay. end credit scene. I think that big spaceship, that is Thanos. That's, that's. I don't know if I don't know if that is like Thanos per se, but I think it is his people at the very least, or it's him. Mm. And so I think something happens to that. I'm, I'm worried that like all of Asgard gets wiped out. I don't, I'm not convinced that it's going to happen, but I'm worried that it's going to happen. I think all of Asgard moves to Oklahoma. The uh, so you think that ship at the end that makes their ship look so tiny mm-hmm. is his ship? Yes. Mm-hmm. No, he might not be on it, mm-hmm. but I think that it's uh, again. I don't. I don't know. But I. I so I think when he, Thor encounters the Guardians, my guess is that like something crazy has happened. You know, it's funny. When I saw that ship, that's what I thought. I was like, oh, it's Thanos coming to bring in the Reckoning. Mm-hmm. But when you compare it to the Dark Aster, which was the ship in Guardians 1 that uh, Ronan the Accuser flew, I thought that ship was much more ominous. This one just looks like a huge-ass ship. It, yeah, doesn't look, it doesn't look scary. It doesn't look weird. It doesn't. It looks like just a super huge ship. I think it has a little bit. I mean, it's not terrifying, but I think it's a. It's yeah, but the Dark Aster was, like, freaking terrifying. I mean, I just watched it before that scene, and I was like, huh, what do I think about this ship? <laughs> that was my thing. And I was like, I'm not scared of this ship. It's big. <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> so I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give one of my predictions. I do think this film ends with uh, the infamous snap of the fingers. So I think I feel like Thanos gets all the stones. And he snaps his fingers, and half the universe is wiped out. And I think it ends there. Ooh, I like that. So, I mean, I yeah, I just I that's just such a cool. I mean, yeah, I'm not real into the comics. I do own the Infinity Gauntlet comic book, not yeah. the Infinity War. Comic. I know there, it seemed kind of weird the Infinity War, so I didn't bother to read that. Did you get the new one? What's the new one? So they came out with some comics to prepare you for the movie. 
I have yes, I have I have watched recaps of those. Okay, I haven't. They're not. Yeah. They're not spoilerish at all, but there's no real like need for them either. But I want it all the same. (laughs) You're looking at a guy who read the Civil War thing and then read 200 issues just to, you know, get the context. (laughs) Nice, man. How do we wrap up this special three-part edition of Catching Fox's Ruins of the Movie? Good question. Ladies and gentlemen, we just walked through, we did about six weeks worth of shows. Not six weeks, four, four or five weeks worth of shows in these three episodes <laughs> exhausting uh doing them we me and luke recorded either sunday or monday night turned it around for wednesday and then we recorded wednesday night and turned it around for friday for a normal hour-long episode so if me and luke can get up the gumption of expanding the catching foxes universe the next thing that we do is catching foxes ruins the movies as a full standalone separate podcast done periodically mm-hmm. not done not done weekly like like catching foxes no but, no and in the future, we want to have guests on and things like that. Just the ideas that we've spun about. So thank you so much for listening. So I would love to post these three as the three inaugural episodes of yeah. Catching Foxes Ruins the Movie. So we just got to do that. Um, but thank you so much for listening. This has been crazy. Slow going at first, but I want to say I do know of at least three people who are listeners to Catching Foxes who came on board because of this um, Road to Infinity War. So welcome. Oh, nice. welcome. 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 And if you want to give to us, if you want to hear like more of this stuff, it really Luke, does where should help they with go? the cost. Where, where should they uh, go? Patreon.com slash CF. Patreon.com slash CF. Um, honestly, if you like this uh, and if you want to hear this, like if you could just give like $2 a month or so, that will go a long way to help pay for the cost of this because we have hosting fees and internet fees and all that good stuff. So thank you guys so much. We will see you. We're going to do our next probably regular Catching Foxes episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, yeah. On Wednesday. Well, well. so on Wednesday, we'll record a normal show. Mm-hmm. But then the following week, when we're done with this whole Infinity War thing, the following week has to be us talking at least a little bit about oh the my, actual oh my Infinity gosh. No, War. No, that's what it absolutely will. <laughs> yeah. All right, is, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> you all better go watch the movie. I don't care if you have to take off work, skip mass. Does, okay. Okay. <laughs> Does it matter? Go to the go to the your, pillow mass at your local university. <laughs> your kids will be fine on their own for for three hours. Come on, three three and a half. Got to factor in popcorn time. If I have to pee in the middle of this movie, I'm going to be so mad. I'm going to I'm not going to drink beer or coffee during this film because I want to you know maintain my bladder. <laughs> we have yes. a we have a health regimen. I'm going to give myself two enemas, one two days before, <laughs> one the morning up. Uh, I'm going to fast for 24 hours, drinking only a clear liquid diet. And then when I'm there, I will only eat milk duds, Reese's Pieces, butter, peanut butter cup, and popcorn, extra large, extra butter. But it'll have plenty of room in my colon, so I won't have to poop until after the movie. Dude, yeah, dude, do you want to know how intense I'm going to get this week? So I'm not going to watch or read anything else about this or any of, this or any of the other films at all. I'm done. I'm going on like a fast. Oh, this. so heroic of you, Luke. I know. I'm not going to go on Facebook or on Twitter or on Reddit until after I watch it. <laughs> so that's, I, I just do not want to, oh, cause they're going to, tomorrow is when it can start being viewed by critics. I don't want to know what anyone thinks. I don't want to know what anyone, like, I just want to. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, buddy. Here we this go. This concludes our road to infinity war. I will talk to you again 
uh, one day before I get to see it. So I see it in the morning on Friday. You see it in the evening on Friday. As soon as I walk out of the movie theater, I'm going to text you thumbs up or thumbs down. That'll kill you. Um, <laughs> how excited are you? Oh, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. I literally looked at the movie times. And I was like, I could go at 9 a.m. and at noon. <laughs> like, I don't have to tell my wife that I'm skipping out on work. <laughs> I thought about buying another pair of tickets just because I know I'm going to want to see it again over the weekend. Oh, yeah, totally. I'm totally going to do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, man. You take care. Have a good night, buddy. Bye. The Road to Infinity War.